This episode of How To Wrestling was brought to you by Chris North, one of our lovely $50 backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling, where you can access extra content, request an episode, or sponsor the show. Hey, wrestle fans and new fans alike, want to be the coolest, the most in the know, and stylish humanoid at your local wrestling show? Sounds like you need a wrong wrestling shirt. Select from a wide variety of wrong wrestlers, such as the master of the figure four, The Miz, or the excellence of execution himself, Sean Mike. Michaels. Or how about my favourite Olympic gold medalist, Curtis Axel? Head on over to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash wrong hyphen wrestling hyphen shirts. And this week only, use the code Mysterio, that's M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-O, to get 20% off your order. All designs are available as mugs, shirts, and tote bags, and they ship worldwide. So what are you waiting for? Class up your wrestling wardrobe now with a wrong wrestling shirt. Until then, it's time for how to Ray Mysterio. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows, maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. Hello, everyone, once again, it's me, the Unmasked Marvel, Cowboy Kevin Mann, joined as I am always by, who's that jumping out the sky, R.E.Y. Mystery Joanna Graham. Hello! It's-a me, a Joe. <laughs> Just so we know, we're not doing an episode on the great wrestling career of Super Mario. We're instead talking today about the man whose name literally means King of Mystery, Rey Mysterio Jr. Joe, are you excited to learn about our first luchador? I am. I can't believe it's been nearly five years since we've started and this is our first luchador. Not our first masked wrestler, but certainly our first luchador who is obviously a Mexican masked wrestler, someone who brings the fighting style of Lucha Libre, which many folks have said in the past that they think you would absolutely love. Because today we're talking about flips, we're talking about masks, and we're talking about high-flying acrobatics. Now, Joe, what, if anything, did you know about Rey Mysterio before we started this research? So Rey Mysterio is a wrestler currently in the product that we watch sort of week to week. So he's on the main roster of WWE. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> tell you which which brand. Uh, he's on the wild card brand. Which is either of them. Who are we? The wild cards. And who will we beat? The wild cards. <laughs> so I, I know a bit about Rey Mysterio. I mean, mm. I know obviously he wears a mask. I know he's incredibly flip-de-doo. I do remember way back in our Patreon reviews of Ray's return at the Royal Rumble, you were quite enamoured with him. I remember he made a good first impression on you. Yeah, he came out and did like a billion flips. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's all I know about Ray Mysterio. He's a, he's a flippy boy. Yeah, um, but Ray's recent tenure in WWE, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this episode. I'm not sure if you've gotten the best sense of him from watching WWE circa 2018 and 19, where he is back on the, the main roster. I don't know, because... A lot of the matches that I've seen him in are very short and result in him losing. How does that come across to you? I mean, we think, for instance, uh, WrestleMania, Samoa Joe, he had that match. It ended, I think, in like 60 seconds. Oh, and he had a, that was 
so awkward. But like, how does that affect a character to you? Because he's said to be a legend and all that, but... He's like, he's made out to be this like veteran, like, as you say, a a bit of a legend. And Mm. when he made his big return i thought it was gonna be like oh yeah he's this like superstar from the from the older eras of wrestling who's gonna come back and he's gonna be really pushed like a lot of the older guys are well like seemingly. goldberg yeah exactly <laughs> and instead it just seems to be a mission to bury him yeah i mean uh, there's always the the kind of the the idea in wrestling that when you're the older wrestler or you're the, the veteran or whatever, that it's your kind of job to put over the younger guys and we use your status as an older wrestler or a more legendary wrestler to try and set up, you know, someone else who can maybe do with that. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you lose a whole bunch because, well, you're in the tail end of your career anyway, people are happy to see you. But they don't actually do that. Like most of the <laughs> veterans they bring back, they just push or they put on some massive match on at Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Rey Mysterio... His, his return in the recent years, it's certainly not the best introduction to the guy. No. And I felt very bad every week we would see Rey Mysterio. It just seems as well like every week his mask is being ripped off his face. <laughs> like I think I saw his actual face in like the second time I ever saw him wrestle. <laughs> and then like going back and watching these matches, it seems to be like, oh, that seems to be a big part of his career. It's just like the unmasking of Rey Mysterio. Yeah, I mean, well, Rey Mysterio has got uh, a hella look, it should be said. And I was wondering if you could tell me some of your thoughts on the, the look of Mysterio and, and whatnot. I don't like his current look very much he wears a mask with like a mohawk on it ah yes and i think it looks a bit tacky mm. but some of his looks are quite cool he wears like quite flappy pants like tajiri which is ah, like a really yes. good satisfying slap sound that was a really unsatisfying <laughs> slap sound if, if tajiri kicked someone and it went <laughs> no that was all right was... it's this it's only been hit with a wooden block or something like that (laughs) Uh, but I think what's very cool about Mysterio is that he changes up his look so often he's got over 200 masks in his collection wow do you think he has them all on like little plastic heads in his house he's got like a room full of masks he he does have a a room full of of like outfits and stuff like that good for him Uh, Ray for many many years one of his calling cards in WWE was that he would come out for his big WrestleMania match and he would be dressed up in like a big kind of... Uh, like something that would would reflect what was big in the movies at the time. I think when we were watching uh, Bret Hart at WrestleMania 26, you saw a glimpse of him in his Avatar oh, gear. Oh yeah, sorry. No, his Na'vi gear. Sorry. His na- I don't want Adam to come after yeah, us again. <laughs> you want Adam and his mate James Cameron to bust in here any second <laughs> and tell us why it's so great. Like, But uh, he's also done things like he did like Captain America, but he did his oh, Captain wow. Mexico, he's done The Flash... Uh, one year, uh, when I saw him at WrestleMania 25, he came out as the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker. How does that work in a sort of a lucha style? He kind of like a weird kind of clownish. It was kind of like The Fiend, actually, in many ways. Really? And he had like a, a green kind of wig over it. He had the purple coat when he came out. And I remember seeing it live going, wow, this is great. It's so cool. Amazing. I went back to, to watch it on DVD quite shortly thereafter. And there was a line of commentary where... He was coming out, you know, dressed as this, and Jerry Lawler goes to Jim Ross. He goes, wow, can you believe it, JR? Rey Mysterio paying tribute to the uh, amazing performance in the career of Heath Ledger. And then silence follows, and then JR just goes, well, I'd suggest that Rey Mysterio's career is alive and well. Uh, Heath Ledger had died, of course, uh, earlier on in that year, which is uh, oh, very man. nice of you to bring that up. <laughs> that oh, fact up. that's lower the tone. Yeah. <laughs> it took it down a little bit, yeah. so... 
Um, I was wondering what, if anything, you know about the tradition of masks in wrestling. What masked wrestlers have you come across so far? Mm, Sin Cara. Ah, yes. It literally means without a face. Really? Yeah. I like that. Which is a shame because that means he has to wear this mask that covers his entire face. Uh, We've chatted a bit before about breathability with wrestling yeah. masks. Yeah. Yeah. I think wrestling with a lucha mask on must be very difficult. Yeah, seriously. Because I don't see how... I mean, for one, your eyesight is limited. Mm. It's hard to see with a mask on, but also hard to breathe. Yeah, I think some of the mass superstars we've looked at before, like Kane, who had a, a great difficulty, and El Generico had kind of a more of a, an open mouth feel. It's interesting if you look at Rey Mysterio's career as it has progressed, the mask has become slighter and slighter. Now it hasn't got a back, it's got a nice big mouthpiece, mm. nice big eye holes. Nice like. airy and breathable. <laughs> but like the symbolism or the importance of masks, particularly in Mexican wrestling, is that something that you've ever heard much about? I mean, a bit. We had a great article on our website a few years back, which was the history of all things Lucha Libre. Ah, yes. And there's a bit in there about like the history of masked wrestlers and where it comes from. And it was very, very interesting. And uh, even though a bit of it went over my head because I hadn't really seen any Lucha wrestling. Well, I'd seen the Lucha Dragons. Oh, yes, that's true. Who I love. Callisto's great. Yeah, yeah. Callisto's amazing. Um, but yeah, I hadn't really seen much other than them at the time. So... I think a lot of it was kind of like new to me. It's very easy to kind of write it off or just assume it is like, you know, a marketing thing or just a a way for WWE or whoever it may be to sell masks or something like that. Because don't get me wrong, it is incredibly marketable. And there are probably, in any given wrestling fan's house, at least two luchador masks knocking around. (laughs) And this one is no exception. But the masks in Mexican wrestling or Lucha Libre, which... It literally means free fighting. That's what lucha libre means. If you're a luchador, it means you're a fighter. What does free fighting mean? It refers to the style of of the wrestling. Because, for instance, in America, you'd have a lot of wrestling which is known as catch as catch can, which means there's lots of kind of scoops and slams, and you know, it's it's works in a bit of the grappling into it. Whereas lucha libre or free fighting was more about things like uh, people being aerial, you know, dives, topes, exactly flying around, jumping off the ropes, uh, diving over things, even just the basic moves like head scissors and stuff like that. Where instead of you're going to slam someone, you're going to kind of gracefully jump up onto their shoulders and use your legs to flip them onto their back or whatnot. So it refers to the kind of lighter than air nature almost of the of the fighting. Like flip de do. Very much like flip de do. And that's why a lot of people thought that you'd love the Lucha Libre as a style because, yeah. you know, you love yourself some flips, right? And the bits of Rey Mysterio I have seen would make some great classical wrestling moments. Oh yeah, very much he's so. He's so fast and so flip de do and literally does just fly around half yeah. the time. <laughs> and some people like a, a criticism and we can talk a bit a bit more as we go into some of the um some of the matches that we've chosen. And thanks everyone for a really wide variety of fabulous match recommendations for, for Rey Mysterio. But I think one of the kind of criticisms, and I think it's an unfair one that gets labelled against Lucha Libre or, or Mexican wrestling, is that it is not got like psychology to it. It just moves, 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 moves. And that has always been like a, an American wrestling criticism labelled against Mexican wrestling. Mm. I don't know if that's fair or not to say there's not psychology or people don't sell as much as they should or it's too fast. 
That sounds unfair. And it doesn't sound like inherently so. No. I think you could have psychology in any style of match. Yeah, I think so. I think like what it probably is, is that <laughs> for many years in Mexico, they were doing a style which was probably compared to America or Canada or, or whatnot, was considered to be far ahead of its time. And a lot of people who maybe were grumbling about it couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you're seeing now, I mean... You'd name any kind of main roster, high flyer, anything like that. You can see the influence of yeah. of Lucha Libre there. But the masks, do you know how important the masks are in Lucha Libre? I mean, I know there's this big culture around, like, the mask is kind of like your, your honour, your dignity. Mm. And to be unmasked is like to, to lose your honour. Is, yes. is that right? It is. It, it's, it's a huge thing to lose your mask in, in wrestling, in, in, in Lucha Libre. Uh, not like kind of... In the sense that, like, Kane, when he lost his mask, is because you found out that his scars were psychological. You know? It turns out all Lucha Libre wrestlers have, like, scars under their masks. They all burnt down the funeral home. <laughs> 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 but, uh, no, I mean, like, it is. It's it's meant to be your identity. With a lot of the masks in Lucha Libre, with Rey Mysterio, for instance. I mean, he's Rey Mysterio Jr. His uncle was the original Rey Mysterio, and he had the same mask. So oh, that's cool. There's a, oftentimes there's a lineage and a legacy with those masks, and it's kind of, you know way of honouring your family by the next in line wearing the mask and whatnot. So what's the reason for wearing a mask in the first place? Because I swear I remember reading or hearing that the part of the reason that they introduced the mask concept was to like hide their identity mm. for some reason. But like, why would you want to hide your identity? Like in America, obviously in Canada, it's like your face is part of your, your brand. Yeah. And it's something you very much want to show and get out there. So why is it so different in Mexican wrestling? There's a couple of different reasons for that. One of the reasons is kind of like, you know, though in, in Japan, we talked in our Shinsuke episode about the young boy system where you have like, no, you don't have a gimmick when you start off. You're just a guy and you don't, you don't even get, you know, colored tights or anything. You're, you're super plain. The idea in Mexico and a lot of the the tradition of lucha libre was that you always started with a mask, being that you're you're not to reveal your identity. People aren't really to know about who you are necessarily. Like it was to be like to see to keep it secret your identity. But why? Um, in some cases it could be because they don't want the person to know that hey he's maybe teaching down the road or maybe he works over oh. in the docks or something like that. In kayfabe, it's because I don't want you to know who I am. Because I don't want you, the evil baddie, to come and attack my family. Or, you oh. know, like, why does Spider-Man wear a mask? That's the, a similar reason to that. That's really interesting as well, because the article that I mentioned actually draws comparisons between the fact that Lucha Libre, the masked style of Lucha Libre, was introduced in, like, the 30s. 30s or thereabouts, yeah. Which is around the same time as, like, the masked crusaders of superhero comics. Yeah, it was Golden Age, like, you know, Batman and Superman, etc. So, yeah, there was, there was definitely an appetite for it. Trying to find the history of Lucha Libre masks was actually quite a difficult one indeed. I tried to find who was the first person to wear... A mask, and like I had always heard, it's like it goes back to Aztec and Incan times and all that. Thinking like, wow, it's like this thing that's hundreds of years old. Like you will see it written in lots of places that it is a tradition that goes back hundreds of years. I think that is a little bit of a kayfabe magic. So oh, really? put your fingers in your ears if you want to maintain that illusion. <laughs> I do like the idea of like what they'd have made masks out of in the Aztec times. Yeah. Like out of wood, I guess they would have done, which would have been really hard to wrestle in. I mean, it must have been, must have been like leather and stuff. I mean, I did look and find like that there is tradition in Mexico with a lot of like the carnivals and a lot of the festivals and things like that. You know, it was a thing you put on masks for the 
you know, that that is part of Mexican culture. Like masks is a part of Mexican culture going back before the thirties. The very first one I could find, and there was two names that kept coming up. Uh, well, I should say there was three names. The first one is El Santo, who's the most famous masked wrestler in the most famous luchador of all time. He became like a big film star. He was a cultural icon. You know, he was tippity-top guy. So would he act in his mask? Yes. That must be really difficult because you can't see facial expressions. He never removed... He was very famous as well because he never removed his mask until well until his 80s. Like he what? Was a proper old man and like on TV, he's like, here I am. And then he put it back on. He was buried in his silver mask. Oh my God. So that's how serious, you know, people take it. You know, very... I, I remember there was a great story I'd heard that there was some luchador in the 70s who had actually won a position of he became like mayor or a senator or something like that and he refused to take his mask off wow. and they're like well if you don't take your mask off you can't take office he's like fine i'm not taking office then because oh i don't God. want my enemies to know <laughs> who i am like so take it very seriously but the names that came up there was two uh, one was cyclone mckay who was actually an american professional wrestler and he was brought down like to do some matches in mexico and the idea was that as a gimmick we would have him under a mask and he would be this masked superstar. And that was like just, just a kind of like a, a, a selling point for the shows. Because Lucha Libre started kind of in the 30s when there was kind of a bit of a crossover. There was some American army personnel had been stationed in Mexico and they, they had connections. And that's kind of how the flow of wrestling came from, from America into, into Mexico. The other name that kept coming up was El Enmascarado, which literally means the masked man. And here's where the issue was. I read... Like 20 articles, mm. some of which said that Cyclone McKay was Ellen Mascarado, some which said that Ellen Mascarado was first and then Cyclone McKay got a mask afterwards. Uh, and then there was one, like, it's really great. If you go to the Wikipedia article, it's like, Lucha Libre masks have a history dating back hundreds of years. And if you click into the subsection, it's like a common misconception is that it goes back hundreds of years. It actually started in the 30s with this guy, Cyclone McKay. Didn't read the source. So, yeah, it's. It is admittedly a bit of a muddled history. Right. So it is important to point out, though, that it did start as like a kind of like a gimmick, like a way to get someone in to come and see it. And as you pointed out, superheroes and stuff, masked men, it then became a cultural phenomenon. I mean, Mexico, luchador mass, it's a, it's huge. It's It goes beyond wrestling now. Yeah. It, it penetrates art. It penetrates music, all, all different parts of culture in Mexico. And I think that's cool as hell. It's pretty cool as well that like, I think if you're not a wrestling fan, if you were to think of wrestling as like a symbol or an icon, I think the lucha mask is like the first thing a person would think of. Yeah. Like before title belts, mm. before like even Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Like before like lots of things that wrestling fans may think of, I think it massively penetrated the mainstream. And I think it's really like important as well to know like what an important effect that had because masks in wrestling throughout the 50s and 60s in America and even into Japan and whatnot, it was a huge, huge, huge phenomenon. You know, it's one of the biggest parts of wrestling, one of the most endearing things. I think, yeah, your point is right about being like one of the first things that comes to your head. We were completely flummoxed that there wasn't a wrestling mask emoji. Like, yes. What the fuck? Like, how is that not a thing? <laughs> Hence why we have a phone on our Ray Mysterio. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in the lucha mask emoji. It is a common misconception, though, that every luchador has a mask. Like, right. well, most will start off wearing a mask 
you know, many will lose their masks over their career. There were some people like Gory Guerrero, who's Eddie Guerrero's father. He didn't wear a mask at all, and he became a, a big star nonetheless. Okay. So you don't necessarily have to wear a mask, and a mask doesn't necessarily mean you're a good guy or a bad guy. In America, if you wore a mask, it meant that you were pretty much a baddie, you know? Right. Which I think is very strange as well. It uh, is, and I wonder how that's impacted American audiences' views on Lucha Libre wrestling. Well, do you remember what Vince Russo said about Lucha Libre and those those luchadors? I just remember that it was wildly offensive. <laughs> what did he say? He said that American audiences can never connect to a luchador because, firstly, they don't speak the language, but secondly, because wearing a mask, you can't see the, the face, you can't you can't see yourself as that person, you know? You know, the same way that I could never possibly have a, an emotional connection to, like, Spider-Man or, or Deadpool or Batman or anything and like yet, that. And yet, somehow people manage, don't somehow they? Somehow we found a way, Almost like, like it's easier with a mask because you can't see their face. I mean, it is difficult, like, in wrestling with facial expressions. It's a, sure. a big part of it. But I think saying you can't project yourself onto a masked wrestler is bullshit because it's, yeah. it surely is easier because... If you see someone with a face that's not your face, that's going to be harder to connect with than someone who's covered that face with a mask that you could hypothetically also wear. Yeah, right? And I think, you know, it's not all in the facial expressions. And I think it's quite an American wrestling-centric view to think that facial expressions... Because you're talking about, well, you mean what, WWE or whatnot, where there's going to be big close-ups on your face in matches... You know, in, in Lucha Libre or in a lot of wrestling, when you're going to go and see those matches, the, it's a live event. That's the whole point of it. It's about the body language. It's about the people in the back being able to to see your fire or whatnot, you know? And if, it actually reminds me a bit of, like, old Greek theatre with yes. the, the masks that the chorus mm. would wear of, like, different severe emotions that would then be seen from the very, very back of the amphitheatre. In theory, if you're wearing a, a Lucha mask, you can actually, you've got a facial expression stuck to your face that yeah. would be much easier to see than your actual face from a distance i mean like the original masks were you know bright colors you know big outlines around the eyes and things like that they look really fierce yeah absolutely it's it, they're always statement pieces i think when you th- if anyone had a plain mask or anything like that like blue demon or or el santo like we mentioned that was kind of like a, oh they're they're the guy with the blue mask that means they're fucking super important you know <laughs> but like I think what's really cool is that even though it maybe doesn't necessarily go back 300 or 400 years or whatever the the tradition like it is alluded to like the influence of like Mayan and Inca and Aztec culture is often seen on those masks that's probably why Ray has a lot of the accoutrements that he does he wants to pay tribute to the to the heritage that's cool now uh, something very important as well about masks is that one of the highest stakes thing that can happen in Lucha Libre is your mask being put up on the line that's super duper like crazy high stakes so you were saying that oftentimes wrestlers start out with a mask and then they lose it over their career yes so is that a case of them losing it in one of these matches or is it a case of them deciding i've evolved beyond my mask it is almost always the case where you lose the mask in a match so it's almost like a rite of passage then yeah and if in many cases if you lose your mask it's kind of like you know, you're you're kind of almost like you're out into the open now. You you are you, and like it's a big thing. You'd have these matches called Luchas de Apuestas. It literally means a betting match where you would stake something like your mask. Wrestlers without masks would often stake their hair or whatnot. But you know, if you lost your mask, you had to not only re- reveal your mask, you had to tell people straight away your real name. Oh my god! How many years you'd been wrestling? You you're know? basically doxing yourself. <laughs> That is a fabulous way of looking at it, yes. Here's my home address. 
Here's my social security number. Here's my son, you know, <laughs> all, all these things. But I think, like, yeah, it, it is, in many ways, it's a rite of passage. In many ways, it's kind of like, you know, many wrestlers, once they lost their mask, they went on to become even bigger stars. You know, people like Conan, you know, when he lost his mask, that was an elevating point for him. He became a bigger star without it than when he had it. I think Rey Mysterio, because of the lineage, always wanted to keep the mask, but we'll talk more about that later. And so is it... Is it just the lineage or is it also part of his brand? Because as you say, yeah. his name means man of mystery, right? I mean, that's, that's a big, big part of it. Yeah, You can't be a man work. of mystery if your face is just there. Funny enough, you mentioned like if someone decides to lose it, Eddie Guerrero was one of the few wrestlers of the time who opted to willingly take off his mask. Well, that was viewed as being like a massive heel thing. Really? Yeah, like it was a disrespecting the culture. Like you shouldn't ever willingly remove your mask. That's so strange. I don't quite get that yeah that's really interesting though. i know but it's it's big on tradition like that's a, it's a big thing about it you know and what another great thing about lucha libre and it's important to bring up you know as you said not just bad guys or, or good guys wore the masks we have fun new names for bad guys and good guys yes. to learn now to add to your lexicon and uh, do you know what the what are we're not saying baby face and heel with with regards to lucha libre no it's technico and rudo oh yeah which i love because this is such a stupid reason to love it, but they have the exact same number of letters as their counterparts. Really? Yep. T-E-C-H-N-I-C-O. N-I-C-O-B-A-B-Y. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, and Rudo, heel, four letters. That That's such a weird little reason. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea, though, that Rudo means that you are rude. Yes, like, you know, I like that, that That's lot. what it evokes to me, you know. And like, what was really cool about the Rudos is that Oftentimes in Lucha Libre, the Rudos would be characters like corrupt police officials. Oh, wow. You know, or border patrol agents. Oh my God, that's so cool. They would really go for something that they know. Ice agents. (laughs) Yeah, that's honestly, it wouldn't surprise me like if there was something like that now. Oh my God. Because part of the tradition of it was like, you know, the, you know, people would would fill out and still do like their, their arenas in Mexico. You know, some of the companies in Mexico have been going for like nearly a hundred years. It's crazy, wow. and it's a big tradition. It's like you know, you it's part of it. It's a culture. You go there, and they have strong characters that are going to resonate with people. So I think it's just important for us just to take a little step aside and put this kind of setting in place because Rey Mysterio came from this world. He started wrestling when he was fourteen years old. That's so young. Yeah, there's a great story in like Chris Jericho's book when he first went to Mexico and like, you know, he's being met with at the hotel room and he's like, ah, yes, have this young boy take my bags. He's like, that's Rey Mysterio. He's 16 years old and he's going to be one of our top guys. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he looks 11. <laughs> yeah, he's very small is Rey Mysterio. He's only five foot six, which is five, shorter than me. Really? Yeah. How what you? It's by half an inch. I'm only five. I'm nearly five foot seven. Nearly five foot seven. But you, what? You're going to bully Rey Mysterio? Is yeah. That it? I'm going to steal his son. But <laughs> it's important to kind of frame Rey's kind of you know association with Lucha Libre and the history of that because it's a very kind of it's a very different world from the world where Rey went into, which is wrestling all across America and in big companies and all that. And those traditions aren't necessarily always respected. So I think that was kind of worth bearing in mind. So his career started when he was 14 years old. He used to like go to the matches and stuff with his uncle. And he wanted to, he told his uncle from a young age he wanted to carry on the legacy of the mask. But he wasn't allowed to get it straight away. He had to, he had to earn it. 
Burn it off his dad. Uh, no, off his off his uncle. Oh, sorry, it was his uncle. It was who his uncle, the mask. not his dad. And Ray was the youngest of four kids, and he was the the one who had the most aptitude for wrestling. But it's I kind of like that. You had to even from family, it wasn't a given. You had mm. to you know get there. So how did he earn it? Uh, he wrestled for many years in AAA under a variety of different monikers. Two of which my favourites were the Hummingbird, Ooh. and one you'll like, the Green Wizard. Oh! I'm just saying, if you want to do some sort of a thing where Rey Mysterio loses his mask to Andrade or whatever, you know, Green Wizard could make a comeback. <laughs> Not really enough wizards in wrestling. I think we've talked no, about this before. Needs to be far more wizards and more kings. Apparently, there's a rumor going around at the moment in 2019 that they do want to do Rey versus Andrade, mask versus hair. But Vince McMahon doesn't want to cut Andrade's hair. There's a lot of things Vince doesn't want to do with Andrade, isn't it? Like he didn't want him to wear a mask in the first place because he's too handsome. Yeah, he's too handsome to be on TV. Stop it! Just come backstage here, you know. Have, have a look. I think maybe it's Charlotte. He's like, no, don't cut that hair yet. Don't like, you fucking dare! I'm not finished yet. <laughs> <laughs> so he made a big name for himself in AAA. There were a lot of his compatriots around that time, included names like Juventud Guerrera, Psychosis, Super Crazy. Conan and really great like this is where a point hate wrestling where a lot of the, the lines start to connect they're making big buzz down in Mexico Vince McMahon isn't going to fucking go down to Mexico and get anyone in like 1994 1995 he's too busy pushing the repo man and doink the clown <laughs> so Paul Heyman was the first person to think maybe I could get this incredibly fun athletic marketable wrestling and put it on my show yeah I remember this from our ECW episode that mm. Paul Heyman was the one who went around and found like all these different styles of wrestling to put on ECW he introduced this to the American audience you that's know that's so cool that's, that's a pretty I mean, that's a pretty big feather in his cap like like the number of ways in which ECW was innovative like culturally yes but also mm. like geographically they did that whole globalization of wrestling so much earlier than wwe isn't it funny that they were competing against two legitimate international companies yeah. and you know if ecw went to canada it was considered a big fucking deal like you know <laughs> and like yeah they were probably the most international of them all so we had many many requests for matches and many many recommendations the first one that we're going to look at is considered to be like Rey Mysterio's biggest impact that he made when he first came to America. I believe it's only his second match in the United States. This is from ECW Hardcore TV on the 17th of October 1995. It is Rey Mysterio Jr. taking on Psychosis. And Joe, first and foremost, I gotta ask you your thoughts on the outfits on display here. I don't actually remember what Ray was wearing for this match. I think I was just blinded by Psychosis's outfit. So yeah, Psychosis has got a quite the look here. He looks like something out of the Power Rangers. Like he's got <laughs> these big horns and a big curly wig on and like big shoulder point things and he's wearing like a all white bodysuit. And he's got two belts. Yeah. And he's got special like pants built into his singlet. I think, though, in retrospect, you shouldn't wear white to an ECW arena match. Yeah, he gets really gross. Yeah, in more ways than one, it's a dirty arena. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So what was Ray wearing in this match, then? Uh, Ray was wearing long tights, and on those tights he had an interesting symbol. It was, from close inspection, the Batman symbol with a big question mark on it. What does that mean? I don't know. He was kind of like is the Riddler. Batman? I don't think he is. No. I think he might be. I think he might be the Riddler. 
Mike know? the Riddler. <laughs> you could be. Wait, this wasn't the match, was it, where he was wearing loads of question marks on his on his tights? There were some question marks, you know. There were some. But it's not like the, this is another match that we did for this where he, he looks like 60s Batman Riddler <laughs> and he's covered in question marks. <laughs> no, he's just kind of uh, alluding to his, his air of mystery, I think. Okay. A very cool little moment in this, uh, a little flashback to our Dudley Boys episode. Do you remember the Dudley Boys uh, horrible, gross ring announcer? The guy with the the neck brace, the tuxedo, and fittingly, no shirt? Ah, yes. How could I forget? Well, well, well. It's Jill Gertner who claims that he's better than the Titanic because only 200 women went down on the Titanic. But he's a nice, polished young lad here, isn't he? Yeah, he's the ring announcer, and he does it in Spanish. That's so fucking cool that's really cool i think they should do that way more often with like lucha matches i remember there was a period of time with uh, justin roberts who's the ring announcer who was in wv for a, a long while he's the aew ring announcer now all elite wrestling and when ray would come out he would go instead of saying ray mysterio he'd go ray mysterio and I, at the time i was like why is he saying it weird? But it's like he was saying it in Spanish. In, in the yeah, in, in the way it's meant to be said. Yeah, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say he's saying it in Spanish. It's the same word it regardless. Is. But yeah, it is. He's, he's putting a little Spanish on it. Yeah. I like that. And this was like you know, considering that they're introducing you to this style, and even though Joel has to check his notes five or six times to make sure he's doing it right, and even though you can barely hear it because this is an ECW show, which means that you've got hideous production values yeah i thought that it was a really cool little presentation yeah it was really really fun it's the very definition of high flying is this match like literally they were just flying around the ring they barely touched the ground just going zoom 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 yeah zoom 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 is a very good way to put this (laughs) i have watched a lot of mysterio over the years and i had even seen this match previously and even still i was not prepared for the breathtaking pace of this. It's 1995. Yeah, it does not feel like that. It feels like something out of like the Cruiserweights or something. It's it's just incredible. They just, yeah, like I said, they barely touched the floor. I hazard to ask you about top spots in this one because it may have been difficult to actually keep up. I actually, yeah, I didn't get really any what I would officially call top spots because every time I looked away to take a note... I missed something and we had to rewind and I didn't want to because I felt it would ruin the psychology of the match for me the to be flow, like you mean, yeah. the flow yeah, yeah to to have to keep pausing and going can you pause please so I can take a note can you pause please can I take a note pause please can you pause please pause pause yeah, the, the the best way to watch a Rey Mysterio match is not stuttered into, you know, 30 or 40 gifts. <laughs> yeah, but there was so many flip-de-doos and cartwheels that Kevin marked out. I would call that a top spot. Yay! For you. <laughs> I, I'm very glad that you liked the, the cartwheel as well. Oh, one thing that I would maybe classify as a top spot was when Psychosis put Rey in the sharpshooter. Oh, yeah. A.K.A. Scorpion Deathlock. Ah, yes. We had some discussion about this in our previous Bret Hart episode. Yes, actually, Jeff Maxfield told us for the Brett episode, and we didn't read it out, but we'll read it out now, which is a fun fact that neither Brett nor Sting invented the sharpshooter. We discussed this a bit on the episode. Yeah, that we it, thought it got nicked from Japan. It probably Japan, got nicked, yeah. Probably. And it did. Of course! The creator was Riki Choshu. <laughs> the second fun fact is Jeff has an action figure of Riki Choshu, and it still can't pose into a sharpshooter. None can. Unrealistic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was originally called the Scorpion Hold. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. God. Fun facts. S- very fun facts indeed 
So another thing that they're doing here with the Lucha Libre style in the presentation and trying to be authentic is that it's two out of three falls, which is what a lot of the matches would have been at the time in Mexico. There's also some other little rules that they have, and I think this is one of my favorite ones. In Mexico, on their tag matches or trio matches, like six-person tag matches, you don't have to tag. If you roll out underneath the ring, and another member of your team is allowed to come in. And oh. that enables you to have constant you know people coming in you've often said like how can people just come into the ring randomly yeah. in matches there is no reason normally but in lucha libre there is actually a, a kayfabe reason written in there that's cool i'd like to see a match like that yeah we will definitely get our hands on some trios matches in the not too distant future i bet the pacing on a match like that is really fast and fun yeah i mean it's often been said that if you want to really hook someone and show them what wrestling can be and not just resort to showing you know, TLC matches and stuff like that, that Lucha Libre is is the most effective form of wrestling to convince a non-fan that there's just something with this that is, you know, intangibly brilliant with the whole art of wrestling. I mean, other than the fact that it's kind of a gross arena and a bit dingy, if you were to show someone who thought that wrestling was just like big, slow, fake punching and stuff like that. Men in small pants. Yes, certainly not just men in little pants. This one has definitely got a vibe it's it's like a beautiful dance. It's like ballet. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I think as well, it did make me a little bit squeamish seeing the breadth and depth of flips while we were very much on a solid concrete floor that looked like it had not seen a wash in years. No, the floor... I mean, we mentioned before how psychosis gets very grubby. But the floor literally looks rusty with dried blood. Oh, Jesus. It's so gross. And like, yeah, as you say, it's just solid concrete. And they do so many, like, like just flying out of the ring and landing. Guardrail, like metal guardrails. Yeah, just on the horrible hard surfaces. If you're lucky, you'll land into a fan and they'll be like, yeah. yay! <laughs> <laughs> but Ray, I will listen to a shoot interview with Ray and he was talking about when he first started off and some of the arenas that they did or some of the shows they did in Mexico. He'd be wrestling and it wouldn't even be concrete, it'd be gravel on the ah! outside. <laughs> Which... I can I can safely say, along with hardwood floor that we saw Sandman working on one time, I think gravel has got to be... Maybe AstroTurf could be the only thing worse, but that's got to oh, be one of the no, worst ever. gravel is worse than AstroTurf. AstroTurf is fucking horrible, but gravel is worse. Uh, gravel! So, Ray picks up a win of the first fall in like 120 seconds, and I think one of the reasons they do this is that they want you to... Unlike a lot of American wrestling, the style where you have to wear someone down and then you finally beat them. They, they want you to know that the style here is like blink and you'll miss it. A fall can happen at any time, you know, and it's not just going to be a finisher. It could be a roll-up or a hurricane run or any of these kind of combinations that they can pull out. I don't think I'll ever get used to two out of three falls matches because every time someone gets the first pin, I'm like, right, there's the match is done. Yeah, it's a very short one. Yeah. Like, you know, it was fun while it lasted, you know, all two <laughs> minutes of it. The commentator, Joey Stells, has a bit of a pop at Bobby Heenan. Like, he says that if, if someone like Bobby Heenan was commentating on this, he'd be making you know, pops to the fact that they're Mexican and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Which, absolutely, he would have. Yep, yep. As was the style of the time. <laughs> like, He had an onion on his belt and he was making fun of luchadors, as was the style at the time. I don't think I've ever seen a match with such high-flying flip-de-doos and weapons. Because they have, like, tables and stuff in this match as well. Yeah, that was one of the reasons, was because they wanted to not just say, hey, this is what we do. 
But they wanted to say, hey, this is what we do, and we can do a little bit of what you do. Because if you're an ECW fan, you're going to that arena, you're going to expect tables and chairs and all that. And they effortlessly melded that in there, you know? Uh, like, they they went, they, Ray told the story that in this shoot that he went to go out, he went, he asked permission from Paul Heyman, can I use a table? And he's like, do whatever you want, like. Aww. This is entirely up to you. Do whatever you want, like. I think it's really, really cool that, you know, that they did they were brought back for that reason, I think, because everyone in this audience was here for blood and guts. And they got a bit of that. You know, they got the chairs and they got the tables, including one of the most horrible table breaks ever where Ray went through the far end of the table. Yeah, I didn't realise the table could break that way before. Just like the very end of it. It is the hardest part of the table, Joe. We'll try to get that one over. Let's see if that's that's a go or not. Psychosis takes a lot of control in the second round because of his size advantage. And this is something you might have to get used to if you're a Rey Mysterio fan, which is Rey Mysterio being beaten up. Ah, yes. He has been beaten up a lot. Yeah, he spends a lot of the time on the on the defensive, does all Rey. Like, I think because of his size, I think he naturally feels that's the kind of the story to tell. You that's know? unfair. You think he'd be able to evade it because he's so little. Yeah, I know. But I think very often, if you have a Rey match, you've got to see a lot of him getting the absolute fuck knocked out of them. Something I'd really like to see more in wrestling, and I'm disappointed that I've not seen much of this so far, is the idea that smaller wrestlers can evade wrestling moves more easily. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that. I mean, it happens occasionally, like the occasional reversal and stuff, or the step out of the way, but not... I can't think of a single wrestler who is known for evasion. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe Ricochet you could put in that category. But I I I think with WWE particularly... The stories they often like to tell is not about defense; it's about offense. You, they want you to be known for the you know the, the signature moves. They like the sequences. You know, you do this move, then this move, then this move, and then the finisher. You know, and I don't think they're as keen on oh your your whole thing is that you can get out of moves or you're defensive or whatever. It I would think, be so much more interesting. It would, yeah. I'd love to see a wrestler whose whole gimmick was like you, you can't keep your hands on me. I'm gonna flip out of everything that you're in. Yeah. The closest we've gotten to is Orange Cassidy, but that's only to the uh, effect of putting his hands back in his pockets. There's that wrestler who covers himself in baby oil. Oh, that's true. Yes, very true. Uh, I, I know you're a big fan of oily wrestlers. Yep. <laughs> The zero fucks given about the current wrestling climate where The Undertaker is like one of the top guys in wrestling, where the second fall comes when Rey Mysterio does a springboard and then Psychosis catches him with a tombstone pile driver and even does The Undertaker's special pin afterwards. <laughs> I'm a big fan of a lot of the presentation we've said here, and you know, they're trying to be respectful to the uh, to the Japanese crowd. And we mentioned when we did Tajiri that the crowd would chant, you know, Unos Dos Tres, when mm. Super Crazy did the 10 punch. I do like Joey Styles saying, Oh Dios Mios. I love that. It sounds so cool. I think Psychosis gets the award for coolest outfit that I'd least like to wear. Yeah, you don't think you could pull that off? I, 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 not that necessarily, just that like it's horrible to wrestle in. I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, it, it is horrible to wrestle in from the sense that you're kind of, he's in an all-in-one, he's in a kind of uh, a morph suit, essentially. It's the big shoulders and the horns and the wig that I feel would be most annoying, because like, yeah. you have to have such an idea of your personal space, and 
to be aware of like you know there's a part where he gets thrown over the barricade and then has to climb over it and the barricade has like holes in it like gaps in the Mm. fence and it would be so easy to get all tangled up in there when you've got all these accoutrements on it I was thinking you know the the morph suit was not a good choice for the ECW arena because you're going to get so dirty but Mm. then I also thought well every single part of your body is covered so in many respects it is the best thing to wear while wrestling in the ECW arena and at least you can see where you're dirty like Paul Ray is wrestling without a top on Oh, and he's got the baby oil as well. He's a fucking yeah. magnet for filth. It's disgusting. Definitely need a shower after that. Ray does a springboard 450 to the outside. These are moves which make you gasp if you saw someone on the main roster. I mean, I remember AJ Styles did that like in 2016 or 17 and people were like talking about it as if it was the damnedest new thing. Ray did it nearly 22 years prior and he did it onto concrete. That's pretty impressive. Incredible. Every other move in this match, I do believe, was a dive to the outside. Really? Yeah, like every second or third move at least. It did seem like they spent a lot of the time outside, which is probably why Psychosis got so dirty. Yeah. I mean, people are going to rag on it and go, oh, there's, you know, bad psychology, they're just jumping up and flipping, they're not selling. But it's like, you know what? There's a time and a place for matches like this. You know, if you had like a match or two on a card, it's a fucking two or three hour card. Hey, wrestling, your cards are all too long. Like, yeah. I shouldn't have to go to a progress show and wait there eight hours. I will be dead at the end. You know, yeah. there's rest. There's too like wrestling has got a, an exponential problem of there being a lot of wrestling at the moment, but the wrestling itself is all far too long. And that's not a WWE problem. That's a, on the indies as well. People mm. can't pace their shows. And I'll tell you, you something like this thrown in the middle of a wrestling show, if you're going three or four hours or whatever, yeah, I don't care that there's no psychology. No, I, I don't I care. Wake up with this, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's important to get a balance. Like, you want some stories with psychology and everything, but you want some which is just, you know, you can let your mind wander and just enjoy it for what it is, which is flip de doos and flying around. Yeah, I, I understand you want to have the brand that this is, you know, this is the company, this is the style, this is what you can expect, but... I don't know. I kind of hope that more people, you know, we said before, we don't, you know, more comedy matches. I would like there to be more of a, of a, of a thought from a company that, hey, our style is that we have many styles, you yeah. know, and you might come to the show and figure out, hey, I love Lucha Libre, or I, yeah. I love Strong Style, or I love comedy wrestling, or I just want to see a good old fashioned, you know, charismatic stare down and very little moves happening a la Hulk Hogan, you know, <laughs> something for everyone. The match gets a standing ovation. Yeah. Which, you know, we've talked about that ECW fan base. I think we started watching this match. Joe was like, "Why is there a guy in a hat and a guy with sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt?" I'm like, "Oh, that's Faith No More guy. That's Hat guy. You're in the ECW arena. Everyone wants to get themselves over. It's not an easy crowd." It's my least favorite part of wrestling, and you know what? I'm really glad that it seems to be dying off because I haven't heard of Frank the Clown in a long time. Uh, careful, Joe. You say his name two more times into the mirror, he might appear. And, uh... <laughs> have opinions so we get a twisting senton splash onto a chair which causes psychosis to pick up the win and in front of one of the most notorious hardest crowds ever giving them a presentation that they were not used to necessarily they win over this crowd and i think this match is so important not just for ray but for like Mexican wrestling in America. I think they they did a really great thing here. So how early on in ECW's time was this match? This would have been probably like a year after Paul Heyman took over. Because we we said ECW did start like kind of in 93, but it was just like a territory. This would have been 
six months to a year probably from Heyman actually taking the reins. And so would there have been many Lucha Libre matches before this or would this have been one of the first? No, this would. I mean, you would have now and then, you know, a big star might come down and wrestle you at Madison Square Garden or, or whatnot. But there was much less of a flow from Mexico to America than even there would have been, say, from Japan to America because Japan had a lot of people like Tiger Mask and Antonio Inoki come over and, you know, there was more of a relationship there. So this was, I think, one of the first like really strong kind of showings and this is one this is perfect because you know ecw back in the day you only heard about it scuttlebutt and people would just be like have you heard there was this amazing match you gotta try and find a a videotape off of someone because you're not going to see it otherwise and it's you know when we were watching a lot of the brett stuff you know the mid 90s was not a particularly fabulous time for watching wwe you know, we saw some of that mid '90s stuff in WCW on our Sherry episode. Mm. Not a great time, really. If you no. want to see something like this, you know, yeah, this really got uh, uh, ECW on the map probably as much as as the Luchadors themselves. That's really cool that Ray was involved in one of the earliest Lucha Libre matches in America. Then, yeah, well, at least on American TV. Ray, Conan, Psychosis, and Juventud Guerrero. Those four guys, like, and you know, Conan was also the the negotiation man. He's the guy who put it all together. He's the guy who kind of made the arrangements. He did the business side of things. So those four guys, like, huge, huge impacts, I think. You know, it's it's felt to this day. So did you have a rating for this one? I did. I loved this match. It's definitely one of my favourites. I gave it four stars out of five. And one of the reasons I gave it that score is because I don't think there was a single rest hold in this match. Jesus, I think you're right. Not a single one. Like the closest they came to a rest hold was the sharpshooter. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the the greatest rest hold in the world. No. Like, God, I mean, that shows you like just a you know they didn't get blown up. They were they were nonstop. They were running. They were diving. You have to have such good cardio. I mean, it's crazy to see Ray here. Probably this is 1995. Let me think. How he's 44 now, and it's 20. Four years. Ray is nineteen or twenty here. Wow! That's God, so wow. that's so young. He, he was he he was so spectacular here. And Ray is very interesting that he was so spectacular so quickly. You know? I feel as well. Now is a good time to mention that that Ray Mysterio is a hunk. Oh, I was gonna ask you. So yeah. Ray is a hunk. Now a masked man being a hunk. That's a that's a difficult uh, difficult one to sell me on. But now. he's got those beautiful dark eyes so what I love most about Dan's artwork is he got those eyes perfectly yeah. you know quintessentially Ray you know he's, yeah, he's got very very kind <laughs> eyes he does have kind eyes and you know what Ray Mysterio from listening to a lot of interviews with him and you know Ray was career closely aligned with a lot of people where there was you know tragedy and horrible stuff I don't think I've heard him have a bad word to say about anyone ever really yeah Everyone he's he's cool with WWE. Every decision they made, shitty or otherwise, any you know, even people who'd made really bad decisions with his career, he was like, "It's okay, you know, it's just business." You know? Wow! So there you go. Ray's a, a a positive fellow. Do you think that's him being positive, or is that him being a pushover? I don't think he's a pushover because you'll like this. I mean, there's there's I remember a very notable instance in like 2009 or something. When a young Dolph Ziggler was trying to get pushed and they wanted Ray to lose to Dolph Ziggler to get him over and Ray refused. Wow. So he's not a total pushover. I mean, he will stand up for himself, I think, if you mean... That's good. You know, so uh, poor Dolph. Uh (laughs) And as we all know, 10 years later, he's firing on all cylinders. (laughs) So 
here's how things happen in the mid-90s in the world of wrestling. ECW does something cool, then a big company comes on and says, I'll be having that, and takes it. Right, of course. So, WCW has now been headed up by Eric Bischoff. He's got a new, exciting TV show called Monday Nitro. He wants to go head-to-head with Vince McMahon. And his strategy was, how can I be most different from Vince McMahon? And Vince had lots of big guys, and he had lots of cartoony characters... And he certainly didn't have anything south of the border. And Bischoff, smart as he was, as they had quite a southern-based audience, and there's a great Latino communities in the, a lot of the towns where they would run, in like, you know, Atlanta and Texas and places like that. So he thought, hey, let's get in some luchadors. And all of it was, again, put together by Conan, and he brought in a big crop of luchadors. And here's what's weird about it. None of the luchadors ever dealt with Eric Bischoff. Ever. The boss. Is that good? I mean, it's a bit weird. Yeah? Conan was who they talked to. And what Bischoff would say is like, look, you guys have got 20 minutes, here's two matches or whatever. You know, you you sort out. He would never... His idea was that you would always be on TV, but it was never going to get pushed. Okay. So like, because WCW's actual motto at the time was, where the big boys play. Right. (laughs) So... Like, Ray was there, and you had, you know, Dean Malenko, and you had Psychosis, and Hooventu, you had a lot of these wrestlers from, you know, who were smaller stature, and they were having great matches on TV, but it was not a focus point. They were never going to, like, get to the next level or whatever like that. Harsh. It's really harsh. I mean, Ray's debut in WCW, he was told, look, they're interested in you. They've seen some tapes and all that. You might come down for a, a tryout match. Going to have you maybe wrestle a, a tryout match, like a dark match, where... The cameras aren't rolling. Ray shows up. No one knows who he is. Everyone's like, who's this young boy backstage? Like, there was people like Hogan, like, who's this child? I didn't know who, who it was. God, I can't even imagine what someone like fucking Hulk Hogan thought of Ray Mysterio. I know, right? Oh, like and, he's an ant or something. And then he, he goes to try and find what's going on. And they're like, oh yeah, they want you to fight uh, Dean Malenko, the Cruiserweight Champion, tonight on pay-per-view, live. Oh my God. For your first match. Also, we've never seen you wrestle before. We've just watched a few tapes, so I hope you're good. <laughs> And that was his first match, right on pay-per-view, sight unseen, like. Well, that's a lot of faith in him, which I'm sure he pulled it off, though, right? Because he is a great wrestler. He is, yeah. It speaks to the skill of Rey Mysterio and the fucking chaos of WCW that they would allow something like that to happen. But, yeah, I mean, Heyman wanted to showcase to luchadors. He wanted to be respectful to the tradition. There wasn't, you know, they just wanted content. That's all that, you know... Bischoff wanted for WCW. His theory was that if you were flipping between Raw and Nitro, and you saw Nitro, these guys in cool masks, I I might watch this. It looks different to the boring big men over the other channel or whatever. They never sold Rey Mysterio masks. That's so stupid. Why wouldn't you? Because they're not marketable, right? Who wants? Who who could? I mean, that's the thing. Russo always gets tarred a lot with the brush of being like the idiot who was stupid enough to vocalize what was probably thought by most American promoters and writers at the time. But yeah, I mean, the fact... You didn't sell Rey Mysterio masks? Like... (laughs) I I don't don't understand that at all. Like, any masked wrestler I would be selling the masks of. Yeah, right? That's the whole point. That's that's one of the reasons why masks became so popular in the first place, because everyone wanted to buy them and own them. (laughs) I mean, how many Rey Mysterio masks do you see in a given crowd? Like, there's always loads. Yeah. The WWE, they definitely, you know, they sold a lot of those fucking things. I bet they did. So, even though it was often sandwiched in between lengthy Hulk Hogan segments or NWO shenanigans, Lucha Libre and the Cruiserweight action of WCW was still, like, some of the best wrestling you're ever going to see on TV. 
And one of the matches which has been recommended heavily and I was so excited to watch and show Joe was Rey Mysterio Jr. taking on Eddie Guerrero at Halloween Havoc 1997 for the Cruiserweight Championship. Oh, this is one of my favorite matches of all time. What do you think of the branding of Halloween Havoc? It's uh, hokey. Yep. <laughs> Not a fan? <laughs> I know. I loved it. It was uh, very skeleton wars. Very much so. Gravestones. I saw one of the gravestones said wash on it. Wait, what? Yeah, one of the gravestones said wash. Was it in the concept of washing or yeah. wash from Firefly? What did it, what did it mean? Uh, probably the concept of washing, I think. Okay. D- I don't know. Rest in peace, I guess. WCW, where the smelly boys play. Yeah. There's a <laughs> pumpkin. Yeah, it's a big gargoyle with the pumpkin as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the spookiest snack of all, Slim Jims. Yeah, Slim Jims seem to be sponsoring the turnbuckles. I was quite disappointed they didn't try and make them look like Slim Jims because that would have been really funny. One of the corners did have kind of like a Slim Jim kind of brackish around it almost. It didn't look like a Slim Jim. No, but it looked like, you know, maybe you could peel away all that turnbuckle and there'd just be a very, very big Slim Jim in there. Uh, sorry, we've been sent a lot of Slim Jims recently. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're addicted again. So, yeah. you know, it, it's the, it is the official meat-flavoured stick of how-to wrestling now, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know. And it's not because we're greedy and we like to eat salty, oily meats. It's out of respect for the lineage and legacy of Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes. How dare you suggest otherwise? <laughs> I like Ray's new look here. So this is where we have 60s Batman Riddler. <laughs> what, because he's wearing a nice morph suit? It's purple yeah. and it's covered in question marks. It's, it is very Riddler. It's very, very Riddly. I like it a lot. I mean, it is quite an interesting look seeing as the, the mask is part of it as well. Yeah, I don't know how he's supposed to get into it. What, like through the mouth? Like, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> he you know, puts his feet into the mouth and then wiggles it up like he has to get eaten by the suit. Do you think they have foot parts to it? I... I would think not. I don't know. I mean, I think that it looked like there was a seam like at the bottom. So maybe it was kind of like a top unitardy bit. Ah. And then like there was a, a bottom trousery bit that he could put on as well. Like I hope so for his sake. So he doesn't have to crawl in through the mouth. It's a hell of a look though. It's yeah, it's a great look. Uh, and I'm dancing on the issue here right now because we're talking about one of the greatest looks of all time as sexy Eddie Guerrero saunters out to the ring. To midi trumpets. <laughs> I love it. Grim Fandango on the fucking snares or something. Like. It's great. <laughs> I love whenever MIDI trumpets get introduced. You love WCW then. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a lot of MIDI here. Like, If you like MIDI and ripped off themes, WCW is your place to be, baby. <laughs> but yeah, Eddie's uh, outfit here is great. He's wearing like sexy gold pants, which are very Seth Rollins. They're like black and gold. You got a black panel and a gold panel. Yeah. And it's like geometric shapes on the side. Ooh. Oh, it's a great look. I would love to wear that. <laughs> Am I right in saying, you know, someone correct me if I'm wrong, and obviously there is the Scott Hall element to this as well, but is Eddie Guerrero here sporting the sexiest mullet ever? Now, that's not a very deep pool, yes. obviously. He is. He is, yeah. And uh, he's going beyond Scott Hall there, you think? Scott Hall, does his count as a mullet? Yeah, I mean, when he was Razor, he had a, it was as a was mullet. It? Yeah, a little it's bit. It's slicked back, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I don't know if that counts. Yeah, I guess he was only part of his career. This is this is the best mullet. This is definitely a mullet, and yeah, this is a sexy mullet. Um, one thing I noticed as well with Ray's outfit was that he has a little Lord Voldemort on the back of his head. <laughs> uh, I think that's meant to be a skull. It just looked like Voldemort. It looked quite, because from a distance, it looked like a little white, scary face. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little Ray Fiennes in the back of Ray yeah. Mysterio's head. 
telling him to cheat. I, I love that Ray gives a mask to a young child in the audience. Yeah, that's very Bret Hart. But Whoa. cooler because Bret Hart's sunglasses seem a bit cheap. Whereas a mask, that's like, that's really cool. I'd be so chuffed to get a mask at a wrestling show. Because even if the Bret shades, it's like they kind of want one eye of it will probably cover the entire child's head. Yeah. You have to grow into those. <laughs> With the Ray mask, you know, he's roughly the size of most of the children, so yeah. that works in his favour. We have an unsurmountable four people on commentary here. Oh god, did we? I didn't even notice. Yeah, we had Mike Tenay, who is basically there to provide any information about Mexico and luchadors and whatnot, and he did a really good job. He, you know, that tidbit about Eddie Guerrero I told you earlier on, I learned that from Mike Tenay here. He, he brought that up. He's brought up, he brought up a lot of the, the luchador history, which is really cool, because I don't think Bobby Heenan or Dusty Rhodes were queuing up to talk about how great Mexican wrestling was. No, as we said, Bobby Heenan would probably just be making fun of it. The nicest thing Bobby Heenan said was, I've never seen anything like that. No, really, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this one, Joe? Did you have any top spots for me. I only have one top spot for this match because like the first match it was so quick and it was like blink and you'll miss it like it was really fluid it was like kind of reversal 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 and as such I uh, really struggled to take notes just generally because I didn't want to miss anything. It was it was another overwhelming experience yeah. you would say. <laughs> but I did get one top spot which was when Eddie goes to attack Ray who's in the tree of woe but he ends up slipping and hitting his willy on the turnbuckle. There was such a ferocious force how he mm. hit that and when you see Mr. Perfect do that and it's kind of like alright Kirk get yourself in there he shimmies in a little <laughs> bit you know and Ray and just zips up and Eddie is like boom like a lawn dart right into that thing yeah, right like in his, his cock it's like his dick is a magnet <laughs> and the turnbuckle is made of magnet if my dick was a magnet what polarity would it be or have I gone too scientific you now you've gone way too scientific fine God. tweet in <laughs> tweet in with your magnetic penises um I think one of the things I like most about this compared to a lot of other cruiserweighty or luchador type matches is that they're doing lots of flips and you know there's big monkey flips and you know kind of I know you mentioned like sixties Batman, but there's a lot of you know, kind of I put my foot in your tummy and you roll over and go flying over my head. A lot of those So cool. But it all has real impact. Yeah. Like there's little things they do, like when Ray flips over Eddie, when you know Eddie kind of bounces into the ropes a little bit, and it's like, oh man, he's thrown him so far that he bounced into the ropes. Mm. And it makes it look more vicious even though it's, you know, perfectly safe. Yeah, this match does have a vicious feel to it, for sure. Like, quite hard-hitting. Considering it's high-flying, which normally is quite a, a light style, which doesn't seem hard-hitting, this really does. And a lot of that is because of Eddie's, like, really nasty moves that he does. Like, he does some really, like, cruel things to Ray in this. Mm. Particularly, the first of many times we'll see it in Ray's career, going after the mask. There's something about that that makes me deeply uncomfortable, like blading. It was so strange to see your reaction to this, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it makes I, me really squeamish. I, I couldn't explain it. When he tore open the eyes, you were like mouth aghast. <laughs> yeah. This was only our second Ray match. You know, Obviously, we've seen a lot of Ray stuff in recent WWE, but it was amazing Like once we kind of knew a little bit more about the history of the mask. Was that it? No, I've always been like that with masked wrestlers. Like, even when I saw Ray fighting Randy and Randy was going for the mask, I, again, was, like, really uncomfortable. There's something about it that just... 
I, I, it's like it's a part of their face or something that's like they're something... ripping their mouth or it's, it's just yeah. it seems really violent and aggressive and I, it's just I, we saw it with El Generico as well where Kevin Steen ripped yeah, open the mask hate and he, it. he bloodied it there I mean, as I don't well. hate it that's not fair to say because like it's very effective and it's not like I'm watching it I'm like oh fuck this I don't want to watch it anymore it's like oh my god this is like I'm on the edge of my seat and this is horrible so just so we know the Joe Graham squeamish meter yeah. we've got somewhere up the top we've got blading yeah uh somewhere near that hulk hogan just appearing generally spitting (laughs) spitting also up there the thing randy orton did to jeff hardy's ear we talked about screwdriver screwdriver and demasking attempts but not just demasking it's when they rip the mask Mm. and like try and warp it i think it's because on some subconscious level i'm like no they'll have to buy a new mask (laughs) that's expensive he's only got 199 masks now i (laughs) but like no this one's part of his bodysuit oh that's true the whole place the whole thing ah now that's ridiculous one one tearing the whole outfits in the trash i love it because it's like it's as effective as someone being busted open because yeah. it's battle damage. Yeah, yeah. And like, how do you tell the story? Well, the mask is torn open, the eyes all ripped open. You can see like, because Ray's got, he's kind of painted on like some face paint around his eyes and it starts to smear and smudge. And when you have Ray, who's got mesh eye pieces and then Eddie's ripping open the mask and all of a sudden you see these wide, scared eyes mm. and Ray going, no! Nah! Ray's a great actor. Yeah. I mean, uh, people say, oh, you're wearing a mask, you're not going to see the emotion. No, you're going you to see it, yeah. You definitely can. Maybe Ray is, like, extra good at this because he's got such kind, emotive eyes. Mm. But yeah, he looked terrified. And there's something about it which seems, like, I don't know, like, violating to rip someone's mask. And then they mm. seem so vulnerable when the mask comes off. It's like, it's, it's like not meant to see that. Like, now that you know... That that is like you know I mean that's the type of thing like if, if you were arrested in a match in Mexico for instance and you lost your mask by accident or something like that you'd be a big shit lie you know yeah. that's that's it is a big part of it so God I'm I'm wary to see any more demasking spots now that you know more about the history and the the yeah. importance and the cu- not only is it going to be like squeamish it's going to be culturally squeamish <laughs> as well uh, Ray's like a like a spider I think in what way. Like, once he gets into the ropes, there's, like, a spider on his web. He, like, ah. walks up the ropes, walks sideways. Mm, 619 is kind of, like, spinning in the ropes. It's very, very cool. Uh, he has a relationship with the ropes that I don't think any other wrestler really has. Yeah. Even the way he runs into the ropes, he takes yes. the second rope as opposed I to the top one. I love that. I think that smaller women should do that as well, because I think it, it looks really, really cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of shorter stature wrestlers, men and women... I think I've struggled from like, running up against the top rope and it's like hitting the top of your shoulder or yeah. your neck or whatever. You can't put your weight behind it if it's kind of like on your neck. I love when Ray just kind of he's like, bounces off that rope like he's using it like a trapeze artist mm. or something like that. It's very cool. And it's like using the whole of the ring as well which I think, again, it's, it sort of tells more of a story. Yes. Like, if you're into the ropes with Ray Mysterio you need to watch out because he might just, you know, crawl up and do something. Like, they're doing a part where they're doing like a, a wrist lock and they, where Eddie's holding down his hands but then they kind of they go back and forth and once they get to the ropes Ray just climbs up onto the ropes while he's still holding Eddie and does a kick-ass DDT off the top it's very very fucking cool I've watched this match many times and have the benefit of thousands of years of wrestling uh, under my belt and wrestling games so the moves were easier for me to digest but I think it's safe to say that the the, the moves were were uh, were fast and plentiful in this one. They were, and again, it's another match which I don't think had a single rest hold. 
I don't, does Ray know how to do a rest hold? I mean, does he just opt not to do them? There were rest holds, but were those there? rest holds involved masks being torn. So that oh, was, I guess that's true. Is, but the rest hold was be, was dramatic, and therefore you didn't view it. Like you only view something as being a rest hold when they stop doing anything, yeah. you know. So yeah, I think the finish of this, where Ray is in the corner and Eddie picks him up, it's called a crucifix power bomb because your arms are out like you're going to be crucified like Jesus Christ. And devout Roman Catholic Ray Mysterio ain't going to go down to a crucifix power bomb. Eddie goes to do it off the top and he gets flipped around at the last second into a hurricane rana, and Ray manages to pin the much bigger, meaner, nastier Eddie Guerrero. And oh, it's such a feel because he wins the belt and like he's right in the camera like crying, and then he beats him up straight away. I like, he's a total underdog, but that's how you tell an underdog story. Yeah, so good. I loved this match. I gave it again four stars out of five. I think everyone was very right by saying that I would like Rey Mysterio a lot. This one is a total instant classic, and if you're kind of looking for one to start off with you know and show someone new who's maybe not uh, familiar with the style of wrestling or is not familiar with wrestling full stop i'd probably go with the wcw one mainly because it has a big bright arena lovely yeah. production values ray when he lands to the outside is landing on mats thankfully as opposed to fucking beer and yeah. swill or whatever <laughs> Sick. now wcw may have provided a great international platform for ray and a lot of luchadors and ray was obviously a, a very big star in his own right to the point this is how big a star ray became in wcw i found a national Enquirer headline from like 1998 that was linking ray mysterio with jennifer aniston as being a love item really yeah there's no truth to it ray's been oh, married okay. to his high school sweetheart since they were like 18 or whatever oh that's nice so yeah uh, rachel is not with ross or ray mysterio maybe they were on a break i don't know i'm not gonna delve into it guys okay it's a discussion for another another podcast but wcw being wcw uh had hoovered up so many luchadors and wwe had attempted to bring some in but they weren't really featuring them that much but like it was getting quite frustrating for a lot of the luchador guys because they were being kept at a certain level they weren't getting merchandise they were often treated as kind of like a joke like, they did a thing where a bunch of the luchadors became the LWO, the Latino World Order. And it's just, it just basically so they could say, look, it's a shit inferior version of the NWO with, uh, with all those guys. Why would they do that? Sell, they got to sell a couple of shirts, at least. Is it like just xenophobia? Is that it? No, I mean, like, I think there's a lot of people who do have, like, I, I've had, you know, Hispanic fans tell me that they love the Latino World Order because it was okay. cool. It was, a, it was a tough group of, you know, of luchadors. But okay. At, at the same time, though, they did very quickly into after that, you know, with Ray. But Ray, like, he was very quickly, I think it was around 1998 or 1999, he was told, we're going to do a storyline where we're going to unmask you. Okay. And Ray was like, you're going to unmask me? Okay. And, like, what's the story? Should that not be, like, his decision? Like, if he wants to be unmasked? Well, his decision, as he told it, was, you're either going to unmask or we'll fire you. What? That was the decision he was That's given. That's so disrespectful. Yeah. What and, the hell? And like, you know, as you pointed out you know, at the start, you'd feel like something like that, given how important the mask is, it's meant to be a big milestone, a huge moment in the career. It was a kind of a thrown together story where they said that, right, um, Ray and Conan are going to take on Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And if Kevin Nash and Scott Hall lose, they'll put, they'll put their hair up on the line. But if you get, you know, Ray loses, he loses his mask. And I'll never forget it because it was the most fucking like mean spirit thing ever. 
Rey Mysterio, he loses the match. He has to take off the mask. And, like, he had to call his uncle and say, Hey, uncle, I'm just going to be have to disrespect the legacy. Sorry. <laughs> you what know? an awkward conversation to have to have. That's so unfair. I know. But the worst bit was is that when Rey did unmask, he had to take off the mask. They then cut to Kevin Nash and went, <laughs> You're ugly. Put the mask back on, man. Oh, that's not fair. Rey was a hunk. A handsome young man. But yeah. yeah. Rey wrestled unmasked then for his next couple of years in, in WCW. But he was really on. He was like the one, the one thing I could find of Ray where he was like, "This was bullshit. And I didn't like it. Mm. It was this." But again, he went along and he did it anyway. You know, Aww. it's kind of shitty. It I, is. It's really shitty. I really feel like, I mean, because it's such a cool storyline moment to use, but like, it's it should be entirely up to the person wearing the mask. I think to decide when they want to move past the mask. Yeah. Now, thankfully, we went to WWE. Vince McMahon straight away was like, mask on, please. Because mm. Vince McMahon smelled money. And right as he was, it's one of the consistently, you know, it's one of the things that's sold constantly for the last 17 or whatever years that they've been selling those masks. But, like, you know, losing the mask became a big part of Ray's storyline. And honestly, this was a little bit of an issue we ran into when we were doing our research and watching our matches. Because the next match we were going to do was Chris Jericho versus Rey Mysterio from WWE in the year 2009, because I thought, hey, that's a cool story. You get to see Rey when he's like, you know, uh, you know well into his WWE run, he's well-established, and there's going to be kind of a, a bit of a story there. And the story was, well, once again... He loses his mask. I mean, yeah. there's a mask underneath, but yeah, it's the same story. It's just, I'm going to try and work the mask. Yeah, so... And I've seen that so many times. Like, I've seen that before we did this episode. Yeah, because Randy Orton was trying to do it, wasn't he? And Andrade. And Andrade. And I have for you now, Joe, from my research, what I was able to find, a list of people who tried to unmask Rey Mysterio. Now, my criteria for this was that it had to be someone who was on one of the big companies who either had a storyline based around trying to get the mask off of Rey Mysterio or successfully removed the mask of Rey Mysterio in a match. Okay. okay. So my list so far. Chris Jericho in WCW, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, Kane, Eddie Guerrero in WCW, CM Punk in the Straight Edge Society, Alberto Del Rio multiple times, Chris Jericho again in WWE, Randy Orton, Andrade Cien Almas, Cody Rhodes, Eddie Guerrero again in WWE, and Jack Swagger. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and keep in mind, I have not been able to find out about, you know, he had a period of time where he was in CMLL and AAA and Lucha Underground. So there could be more there. Is that a failing of Ray or writers that... I, I mean... don't think it's Ray's fault. <laughs> I think that's the writers or whoever's booking the matches needs to go, yeah, we've done this a few times now. It's done. Yeah. It's over. Okay, Ray has literally wrestled for years without the mask he has taken his mask off in several matches. It's been taken off for finishes. It's been taken off for swerves. Like when you Google Rey Mysterio, one of the top results is Rey Mysterio <laughs> face. I mean, it's not like El Generico who's never unmasked. No, exactly. <laughs> we'll never know his identity. Never know, like. But like Rey Mysterio has been doxxed at this point. So we, what's there new to learn at this point? We can just, I can just go to Google and search for Rey Mysterio face and I can see what he looks like. I don't need Randy Orton to pull his mask off with a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, I think you're mixing your Randy Orton storylines there. That would be terrifying. I'm just saying it's probably what they will do if they don't stop this nonsense now. You will have, I guarantee you, before Rey Mysterio, because there'll have to be one for when he retires, and there'll be at least one or two, I'd say you're going to have at least three more Rey Mysterio unmasking storylines between now and then. Great. And it's 
it's just been done. I get it that it's a big part of his persona and all that, but you have like a lot of mass wrestlers now. You've got the Lucha House Party, you've got you know, Grand Metalik and Lindsay Dorado, you've got some really great, you know, mass wrestlers. Do it with them even if you want to. Yeah. But fucking hell, Razor, it's it's done now. Yeah. It's so done. It was done to the point where we had to go and find another match. Where <laughs> this wasn't the fucking story, and that is a lot of a lot of Ray's, you know, time was with that. I mean, there were not many stories that Ray had outside of his mask, but against my better judgment, I had elected not to include this one at the start. But after we had a discussion about the overuse of that storyline, I had to go for the polar opposite. Traditionally on How To Wrestling, I don't want to try and do more than one match with the same opponent for a wrestler, because I feel that you don't get to see more of that person. But I know we're following up our Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio match with another Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio match right now. But Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio from SummerSlam 2005 could not be further removed from the Halloween Havoc classic we've just watched. And there's one very special stipulation in this one, Joe. It's a custody of Dominic ladder match, as they <laughs> refer to it as. Which you called it a boy on a pole match, and I took you literally. I was oh, expecting really? Dominic on a pole for them fighting for that Vince Russo over here wants to put it on the pole like oh, that or a forklift he can share it with Judy Bagwell I'm, I'm cool either way you know whatever you want to do I felt a little bit dirty showing you this match this is kind of like showing you this was like this is what you've been doing Kevin like secretly up in your room with your friends recording <laughs> podcasts about boys being put on the line yes Joe and we thought it was really funny as well because the boy is only eight years old and he's he, he's really good at acting. Can you talk to me about the story of this one a little bit? It's so confused. So, right. <laughs> trying to get my facts straight in my mind of here. Of course, yeah. Because the way they recapped this made it more confusing to mm. me. Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero were in a tag team. Yeah, they were friends. They were friends. Yeah, tag champs. And Eddie was like, I want to fight you for some reason. I want to fight you, Ray. And Ray was like, nah, I don't want to ruin this friendship. Let's stay in a tag team instead. And then Eddie was like, okay, I know how I'm going to get you to fight me. I don't know what his obsession is. Like, seek therapy, man. Seriously. <laughs> like, they did the thing where like, they had a match when they were still friends and okay. Ray beat him. And Eddie was like, you got me, Ray. And he was he was kind of a bit wound up about it and wanted to keep pushing it and want okay. to have more matches like so it was kind of a slippery slope for Eddie you he's know he's addicted he's addicted to competition Joe okay so then Eddie's like I know how I can make you wrestle me I'm I am actually the true father of your son and me and your wife who they've been childhood sweethearts as you say since like high school since high school yeah so somehow Eddie knew her before Ray yeah or around the same time as Ray in school I like, uh, this is confusing I, I hope uh, someone's written original fanfic of like them all going to high school together yeah, like journey into darkness but with Rey Mysterio type of thing yeah <laughs> I like that <laughs> so Eddie's like yeah your son is actually my son and I've spoken to social services who say that Eddie's gonna be my boy I don't know what social services this is who said, yeah, the fine, let's just hand him over to this random guy who's not even raised the boy or been uh, involved in his life whatsoever. I thought this was all above board, but I've not done any <laughs> research into the uh, social services side See, of things. I have. Oh, I have great. done research into social services and uh, I've looked into the 
general protocol involved in changing custody of a child. Okay. Which we will get to, okay? Mm-hmm. And Ray's like, no, 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 I'm not going to just give you my boy. I can't just let social services take him away from me like this. We will have that match, okay? But if I win the match, I get to keep my boy. And if you win the match, you get to keep my boy. And Dominic's like, cool, whatever, man. <laughs> Dominic wants to stay with Ray, unsurprisingly the man who raised him. How good is Dominic as a performer? Too good. Way too good. Like, there's real tears from both him and Ray Mysterio in the lead up to this match. I watched a shoot interview with Ray and they were like, were you comfortable with your eight-year-old son being used so flippantly in a storyline like this? And he was like, Pfft. He was getting paid, man, so I don't care. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, fair fucks. Like, you know, he, he got paid. He was a great performer and he was paid for his performance. Dominic is so good in this that it did make me a bit uncomfortable. It's like, I hope he understands that this isn't actually going to mean that Eddie Guerrero is going to become his dad. Like, I hope he knows that. Uh, Tyler, Raven's not your daddy, okay? Call Jim, okay? Call Sandman. He misses you. He wants to play Fortnite, okay? He's not... He's your real dad, okay? I can't believe that stealing children is a trope in wrestling. I didn't think it was until, I don't know, the last year and a half, it feels like, you know, there comes a time you reach a certain age in your life as an adult where you just start watching wrestling storylines where there's a lot of children at stake and kind of, it's just, your mindset changes, you know? It's part of growing up, you know? Yeah, I mean, Samoa Joe's kidnapped a few kids at this point. That's true. I was thinking we could have a support group that could be like, you know, uh, it could be Dominic in there. You could have Tyler Fullington, the Sandman's boy, who's yeah. also taken. Uh, AJ Styles' kids, who are probably called like fucking Player One and Player Two because he's a big nerd, <laughs> like, you know. And they could get together and, you know, share their experiences. It's okay to share, you know. My, I was only eight years old and my deadbeat dad put me on the line in a ladder match. <laughs> yeah, it was Summer Sam, but I was only eight, man. It's not right. <laughs> but canonically, in wrestling, and this is interesting to point out because Dominic is now a full grown, he's like 19 now. You yeah. Know, he's, he's proper grown up boy. And he is trained as a wrestler. And in kayfabe, they've not addressed this in WWE, he is Eddie Guerrero's biological son. Yeah. I wonder how they're going to work that one out. I don't know. Because like, they had things in the build-up where you know, Eddie was like, you know, I don't have a son. I, I want someone to carry on the Guerrero legacy. You know, be the next great member of the Guerrero wrestling family. And you, you, you have to do it now. I wonder if they're going to do anything like that when, when Dominic... I'm really scared for when Dominic starts wrestling. <laughs> it's going to be fucking weird. That boy's going to need therapy, like... Well, it's okay because... I mean, spoilers, uh, Ray does win this match, so he does get to keep custody of his child. Doesn't get to change the biological fact that he's Eddie Guerrero's no. child. Yeah. So, I mean, this match is, is settled by then. I can't believe they did this. So instead of having a boy on a pole, they put the custody papers in a briefcase mm-hmm. and hung it over the ring in the form of a ladder match. Yes. I don't know how social services were okay with this. I mean, in your research, did you find anything about stipulations to do with, with ladder matches as it relates to the adoption process? It's not standard protocol, really? no, to work it out in a wrestling ring. I mean, I know you said this is a state-by-state state in America. It's quite different, the adoption process. Yeah. So we're basing this just off, I assume, the UK adoption yeah. protocol here. So... Perhaps it's just, you know, retrograde, backwards United Kingdom here, <laughs> being the UK, not letting people decide their custody in a modern environment. 
So first of all, if there are concerns about the safety or welfare of a child or children, okay. social services may decide that a child protection investigation is needed, and in which case they will conduct what is called a Section 47 inquiry. Okay. So are we saying a Section 47 inquiry is when the social worker came to SmackDown to, to see what the working environment, the day-to-day environment was like for, for Dominic if he was to be with Eddie? I mean, that isn't standard section 47 inquiry protocol no okay so then after the section 47 inquiry there will then be a child protection conference which the parents can attend but there are some cases where the chair may say that a parent cannot attend and cases such as there is suspicion that you have seriously injured or assaulted your child and the criminal proceedings are being considered or you have a history of violence oh i thought it could be like if you lost a loser leaves town match and you're not allowed to show up and you know show your face in the in the territory ever again i mean i would argue that being a professional wrestler is a history of violence i mean if you're a professional wrestler who has attempted to adopt someone has that been a stopgap for you has that been something that has has been a barrier to to the process i don't know uh, also, if the parent has severe mental health issues, mm. or if the parent arrives under the influence of alcohol or drugs. I think it's worth mentioning at this point that Cause, Eddie... Because they mention it here. They do. Eddie Guerrero has both a criminal past. Uh, didn't he have DUIs or something? Yeah, he had DUIs, yeah. Yep, and he has a history of drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah, as Rey Mysterio so lovingly puts it, you've beaten addiction, Eddie. You may have beaten the streets, but you've not beaten me. <laughs> So I don't... Which makes him seem like such a bad guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how this social worker, who seems to be tragically inept, is going to argue that Eddie would make a better father than Ray, given mm. those things. I mean, he can't even attend a child protection conference, much less argue that he'd be a more suitable parent. You know what I think this is? I think this social worker is on the take because they got front row seats to yeah. the biggest main event of this summer, which was Hulk Hogan versus Shawn Michaels. Dominic's mum didn't even get a seat at all. No. In anywhere in the ring. She had to sit backstage. So I think this was just a social worker going to business for themselves to to get to the hottest ticket in town, SummerSlam 2005, baby. (laughs) Uh, Ray says, I'm going to climb this ladder for every man who loves his son. Which includes both of the commentators, Taz and Michael Cole, are very emotionally invested in this. So you learn that Michael Cole has adopted his two sons. Careful, Eddie will be out for it. Yeah, I mean, it's fair fair game, like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it it is very much a different story for Ray, this. Because this is very involved and very emotional. It's so strange, this. So on commentary, they say, for the very first time, a ladder match will determine the custody of a child. Yeah, not the phrase you tend to hear very often in wrestling. And social services are just fine with this. And this isn't a Vince Russo thing, folks. This isn't a Attitude Era thing where... You know, over four years after the fact. It's 2005. I yeah. was like 15, 16 at this point. This is not that long ago. It's a uh, a very, very strange confluence of events. However, I will say, because, you know, we had that discussion, you know, when we were doing our research about a lot of the similarities of the storylines and whatnot. You know, getting to see Ray actually emote and talk about something that means a lot to him. And he's so emotionally invested in this. You know, he's got tears as well. Yeah, he's actually crying. Which, again, you can see, even though he's wearing a mask. That's really, like, it's really impressive. And Ray does a hell of a performance in this. So, 
yeah, I, I guess it's like it is worth bearing in mind, as goofy as this seems on paper, yeah. that it does actually get us a very different Rey Mysterio performance and it does. A, a very good Rey Mysterio performance. Dominic in one of the recap videos is so cute with his whole Is it Twoo, Dad? Is it Willy Twoo? Aww. You really feel for him. Tyler! <laughs> <laughs> I think Sandman's going to get flashbacks. Uh, this is like a really cute thing as well because, you know, in the, the interviews I watched, Ray was like, oh yeah, like it'd be funny because we, we'd go out there, we'd do this thing and we'd all be crying and then Dominic would go backstage and play with his action figures. Aww. And I, my maintain that the way they got the performance out of the boy was like, we're taking your action figures away. Now you, <laughs> now you go to the ring. You go to the ring. And he's fucking, like if someone took away my street sharks when I was eight, I'd be fucking mopey as fuck as well. Like, you know, you're not my real dad. Give me my street sharks back. <laughs> I have to wonder where Dominic's mum is in all of this. Like, she doesn't seem to be that fussed about fighting for the custody of her child, even though the mother often gets priority in these cases. Yeah, I'm kind of silent on the matter, you know? Yeah. I guess she's uh, she's taking a step back, thinks Ray's can handle the family business. You know, uh, was it Linda McMahon said to Vince once, exercise your duty as the patriarch of the family and fix this. So that's <laughs> what Ray's doing right now. Ray's entrance here is very low beat. I'm guessing normally it's a bit more high energy. Given that the song is all like, Who's that And it's all super happy and it starts off with Ray going, out of fireworks yeah. and jumping up super high in the air. And then he just stood there. Yeah, and then he walked out solemnly. You yeah. know, normally he'd be all like high-fiving and stuff. That entrance was devised by Dean Malenko when he was really? a producer. And the idea was that you'd have this little trapdoor with a springboard so Ray would like literally launch out of this puff of fireworks. It's a really cool entrance. That's very cool. There are constant shots in this match to the boy. Yes, poor Dominic, who looks so sad. He doesn't break character even no. once. No, like I thought he'd start smiling at points, like when maybe his dad comes over to him or something like that. But no, he keeps a stony face the whole time. It's very, very, very good performance here. If he's as good now as a trained wrestler as yeah. he was here as an eight-year-old boy, you know, I hope he's not lost this fire and this magic, you know, this passion for the business. <laughs> Cole says that Ray is both psyched up and jacked up. He also says Eddie Guerrero has admitted he's addicted to manipulation, which I'm sorry, those are two, again, red yeah. flags that the social worker who is sitting in the front row seats should immediately have recognised because that is emotional manipulation, which again <laughs> shows that he is not a suitable figure no. to be a father, and also addiction. <laughs> he is an addictive personality, I think they're, they're trying to get that across here. Addicted to manipulation, and the social worker's just like, sounds good to me, let's give him custody of this child. I mean, it's one thing to be addicted to talking about joint manipulation like Nigel <laughs> McGuinness, but being addicted to manipulation, that, that's, a, that's a bridge too far. And they say that he just wants to tear the family apart. He doesn't even care about having custody of Dominic, really. He yeah. just wants to ruin their life. Which, again, social services must have been like, and the reason you want to have custody of this child is? And Eddie's just like, oh, I just want to tear their family apart. And they're like, sounds good. Have the boy. <laughs> there are some scary botches in this match. There are two, what I would classify as car crash-like disasters. One where they do a sunset flip off the top and Ray comes in way after Eddie and it's just a big splat. Yeah. Is a sore match. Yeah, there's a lot of botches in this. But did you have any top spots? Yes, I did. 
There were some really good moments in this match, even though there are also some really nasty looking spots. But my first top spot was when Ray leapt from the top rope to Eddie, who was on the ladder in the middle of the ring. It's yeah. like a really far jump and just went pew all the way over. Which I have to mention, the replays in this are ridiculous. Why so? Because they are accompanied by this like noise every ah. time and they replay constantly so they keep getting these cuts like it's classic wrestling there Joe where you used to get a sound effect to, to indicate there's a mechanism that's bringing in the replay screen <laughs> on Raw it used to be a <laughs> that would come up and uh, yeah uh, not 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 something that we have anymore. Uh, probably for for the best. For the best. I think. Yeah. My second top spot was Ray Mysterio using a ladder to climb a ladder. Oh yeah, it's modular. It's like IKEA or something. Yes. I like that. They slot into each other very well. Very clever. The second car crash like botch, where Ray is on top of the ladder, Eddie's on top of the ladder. It looks like Ray's gonna try and like back body drop Eddie, which means like he's gonna push him over his shoulders and tip him backwards and onto that ladder that you mentioned that kind of got slotted in place. But as that happens, because Eddie's so big, it kind of knocks the ladder out of place and causes the one that Ray is on to collapse and Ray lands in the worst possible way. It's like on the small of his back. It must have been so painful. And the hardest part of the ladder as well. Yeah. Oh God, it was absolutely horrible. And then little... Uh, Little Dominic comes in the ring. This is my third top spot. Yeah. This totally had like goosebumps on my arm. I don't think I've ever... Uh, you reacted like you had seen, like, I don't know, a particularly cute animal video won the main event of WrestleMania yeah. or something. Like a very tiny, small dog or good he's boy. so cute. He comes in and he tries to shake the ladder, but he's like a tiny boy. So he can't even move it because Eddie's like a big guy on the ladder. I, I was going to mention... The body shape of Eddie and Ray yeah. compared to eight years prior in that Halloween Havoc match. They're I mean, both so much bigger. The fucking size of yeah. them. You know, I I remember this is around a time where Ray was slowing down a little bit. I mean, I'm sure you can notice here he's a little, he's a, a hair too slower than he was, you know, at the previous matches. And, you know, he had a lot of injuries with his left knee, particularly. Like, he had to, you know, had to have a cadaver tendon put in, like McFoley did, but his body rejected oh, no. the tendon. So he had a lot of surgeries, he had like five or six surgeries. He, he missed a lot of time for it. But as he was having these problems with his knee, he was also getting bigger and bulkier. And that led to, like, a different Rey Mysterio, I think. And possibly, I think it was to his detriment and Eddie's detriment as well that they felt the need to become these big fucking massive beefcakes. Mm. It's good to see Ray now in modern times that he's back to that slimmed down natural body shape. Because I just don't think it... You don't need to be a high flyer who's a fucking 250 pounds of muscle. Like. No, you don't need it. I mean, if you naturally are that way, great. That's really impressive. But yeah, I think it's stupid to just like unnaturally enhance yourself like that if you don't need to. Yeah, I mean, I don't come to see Ray Mysterio because he's a jack... He's all jacked up, no. as they say. I want to see Ray fly and be spectacular. Yeah. So... Dominic shakes the ladder and Eddie gets real mad and comes down off the ladder and then yells at Dominic. We go from the cutest moment in wrestling to one of the scariest moments we've ever had on this podcast. He screams things like, you will love me. Mm. And then he throws back his hand 
as if to hit him. Uh, they, they didn't have a clipboard, the social worker. Take it down, make a note. The social worker is literally feet away from a man about to abuse his child, which brings me on to the fourth piece of evidence that shows that he wouldn't even be able to have custody. Physical harm of a child. Ah, uh, yes. Come on, this social worker is not doing her job. I'm still thinking the social worker is just stringing along Eddie Girl. They know all this. They're going to follow the report, but like, oh yeah, we're going to we're going to have to go front row seats, you know. Uh, you, we'll probably need tickets to fan access as well, now that I think about it. Like, I thought it was irresponsible enough that the ref was there, just like, this is fine, I'm going to let Eddie Guerrero punch a child. Hey, no, Eddie, come on now, back it up there, come on now, Guerrero, one, <laughs> two, three, like, it's a party foul, you don't do that, you'll rear your hand back at a child. But the fact that the social worker was just sitting there front row seats, like, this is great entertainment, I'm loving this. Six, one, nine, six, one, nine. <laughs> Speaking of, we do get the 619 into a ladder. And you mentioned right at the start when we were starting our research, you turned to me and you said, I love the 619. Why do you love the 619 so much? What is it about that move? I don't really know. I'd say it's like my second favourite finisher, though. It's something about how fast it is, how it's in the middle of the ropes. As you say, he's kind of like a spider. Mm. I, I just love it. It's a great move. It's really like unique. It was developed by Tiger Mask, uh, really? one of the kind of the uh, the great Japanese mask sensations of the seventies. And he used to do it as the tiger faint kick, but he would just do it where he would spin through the ropes and he would kick you like, and you'd be like, "Ow!" As opposed to Ray, where you set them up and they're in the middle rope and then you swing around. See, I love that. And hit it. Do you know why it's called the six one nine? No is because it's the area code for his hometown of San Diego, California. Oh. 619. And that's why you dial it up when you do the 619. So what's that got to do with the move? Uh, because it's like a rotary phone. You spin it around, you I'm going to dial oh. that 619, you know? It's a old, it's so funny because he's like such a, you meant to be such a hip, cool guy. He's like, you know, with the old rotary phones, <laughs> you know? What's your other finisher called? The word is the original, Grandpa. <laughs> Sorry, you kind of the stop as well. Though you mentioned that's your second favorite move. What's your top favorite move? The curb stomp. Oh, yeah. Or as it's now just known, the stomp. Ah, yes, the stomp. Which invokes Mario instead of American History X. Yes, much better. <laughs> much better. It seemed a bit unrealistic for Ray to do a springboard immediately after doing the 619 into a ladder. He held his ankle and he went, oh, and then he did it, so it's okay. And then he climbed the ladder perfectly. <laughs> he was dangling from there. That was scary. Yeah, he was, yeah. And Eddie powerbombed him. It was like he, you could see him just dropped into his arms and smashed him into the canvas. Now, we have a bit of an issue here. It has thankfully been edited off the network and done in quite an effective manner. But the finish of this match doesn't necessarily go according to plan. And we get to see a little bit of Eddie Guerrero's temper flare. Yeah, so there's a weird moment where Eddie climbs the ladder and he's like, pretending to fiddle with the briefcase it's like obvious that he's stalling because he's got the clip right there in his hand i mean that's so easy right oh my hands don't know what to do um do you know that wrestlemania 26 the one where we watched brett and vince last episode uh jack swagger won the money in the bank and when he got to the top he couldn't unclip the briefcase so he was there for literally 30 seconds like here's jack swagger and he's he's struggling a bit there and he's Oh, he's gonna, he's gonna get it! And everyone's just there on the ground, like, "Come on, grab the fucking briefcase!" And oh, then he finally no. opens, it and they're like, "Wow, man! If he's, if he does to the next world champion what he does to that briefcase, they're in for a world of hurt." Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it can be tricky. It can be tricky, but in this case, it's obviously not tricky, and he's just pretending. 
And Ray, meanwhile, is pinned underneath the ladder. And Eddie's there fumbling with the briefcase for like, yeah, like 30 seconds. And you said at this point, Vicky Guerrero was supposed to come out mm-hmm. and like push him off the ladder. Yeah, because they had done a, a segment before where Vicky, Eddie's real life wife, had said, you're not doing this because you want this child. You gave up that child. You're only doing this to destroy that family and there are friends. Wait, this is new. He gave up the child. Yeah, they said that randomly on commentary. It's like he gave up the son yeah, at birth. You know, he didn't, he, he, he uh, didn't. Uh... So I'm not even sure if they're clear that Ray's wife is the birth mother. They're just saying that Eddie gave up the kids and washed his hands of it. So, so I don't know. Eddie Guerrero had a child and just then with just... with someone and it was put up for adoption, maybe? I don't know. And it just not... happened to be another professional wrestler? Yeah, I don't know. We're into, we're into the rabbit hole now, Joe. <laughs> just be careful, because we could end up do- adopting Dominic if we go into this any further and we find any more loopholes. <laughs> so yeah, R- Vicky was meant to come out, but she didn't. So we had to have a little bit of make good here and pretend and make a bit of... Uh, make up some time. You know, Kind of like when a, an anime catches up to a manga and has to kind of fill in a few episodes of someone going just to kind of make sure we don't go past the anime so they were buying time here ray improvised i thought very well by he manages to kind of like wiggle under the ladder and push it over Mm. and then eddie's like kind of hanging from the briefcase then and then ray grabs his leg and pulls and then eddie drops and lands really awkwardly on his ankle. Yeah, Eddie did not want to take that bump. And then you said he throws this like tantrum where he's like, motherfucker, where the fuck is Vicky? But they cut that out. Yeah, they've done a quite a good job. So now it just seems like Eddie Guerrero is very frustrated with the fact that he was unable to unhook yeah. a briefcase. It's honestly, I'm going to lie, it's, it's a very uncomfortable moment. I bet. And it's really unprofessional. It is, but you know. Like considering you've got Ray on the other hand, who's like, improvising along with it and like mm-hmm. okay what can i do here and like ray said that it was kind of scary after the match because you know his wife and dominic had never seen, they didn't know that he had a temper you know they didn't know that there was a side to him and when he came back after the match he was fucking freaking out he was like screaming at people blaming everyone wow. blaming the producers and then like you know a minute later he was like hugging ray you know crying saying oh, it was so beautiful that we got to do this match together so you know, Ed, Eddie, Eddie's emotions would run up very hot and cold, it would seem. And that's come up a few times now. Red flag number five. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. the social worker is not paying attention. She should have been able to recognise that Eddie can't control his temper. Yeah. And recognise that he wouldn't be an appropriate father figure. Yeah, you can't put together a match, then you can't put together a plan for your child to live with you. Simple as that, like. But Vicky finally does come out and she pushes the ladder. Eddie goes flying off it. Ray manages to pick up the win as Vicky holds down Eddie Guerrero. We don't have the space, for fuck's sake. And Ray and Dominic are reunited tearfully. The only thing that could have made this better is that as they were embracing, it would have been like, it's Raven! And hit him in the back of the head with a kendo stick. But no, it was just a nice family reunion and they send Eddie on his way. That was a weird one. Someone fire that social worker who is the true villain of this match. Yeah, seriously. The greatest villain of 2005. I don't really feel Eddie can be blamed here because, as they mentioned, he's got, you know, addiction problems, you know, alcohol and drug abuse as part of his history. He can't control his temper. Like, he clearly needs help, right? Yeah. Whereas this social worker is in for the take and someone needs 
to fire her. Someone needs to stop this monster. Yeah. Like, you know. How many more families is she going to tear apart? How many kids have to live with heel dads like because of this this sloppy social work right here? Joe, this was definitely all the story that you her, your body has room for. How did you enjoy this wild match that for me is the weird gift that keeps on giving? I quite enjoyed this match. I really liked the bit where Dominic came out and like got involved because We've seen a couple of instances where kids get involved in wrestling and it normally is a bit crap. Yeah. But Dominic's so good. So I actually quite enjoyed it. But the botches lost a couple of points. Yeah, because... I mean, I think once you are take, you get taken out of it when you're worried for the wrestler's yeah. well-being. And there was a lot of... I mean, I've watched this match a dozen times, I think, and every time I'm like, fucking hell, these poor lads. They must be so sore after us. Yeah, I can't even imagine. So I gave it three and a half... Three and a half stars out of five. Okay, very, very good. I would recommend people watch it if only to see how wrestling perceives social workers. Yeah, show them the last match if you want a new fan to see like, what wrestling can be. And then show them this match to see what wrestling storylines apparently can be. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray, after this, got one of the biggest pushes of his career. But not for the maybe the reasons or the kind of way that anyone would have hoped for. Eddie passed away. It would have been around only three or four months after this. Oh my god! So it was quite, quite, quite tragic, quite shocking. And WWE, at the time, they felt it was a, a good way to honor the legacy of Eddie Guerrero. But people always would say things like Eddie was all business. He would have wanted you know him to be used in storylines, etc., etc. There's always when the wrestler passes away. There's often this discussion. You know, when Paul Bearer passed away, people were like, "Is it right for them to use?" his name or his character, his his image in storylines now, which they did do. You know, they've done this a few times with wrestlers who've passed away. Uh, the phrase exploitation has been thrown around to use as kind of a catch-all term for times where WWE would use his death to get heat on wrestlers, often feuding with Rey Mysterio. Now, Eddie's nephew, Chavo, was part of the company. And you might think, oh, are they going to like strap a rocket onto Chavo, make him like a champ or something like that? Like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to do it with Rey Mysterio. Because Rey had a relationship with Eddie. They were close friends and they were tag partners. But Rey embarks on a lengthy storyline, the general gist of which is, Eddie Guerrero is smiling down on me from heaven and he's helping me achieve my dream of becoming the world heavyweight champion even though i'm the ultimate underdog and every bad guy from mark henry to jbl to randy orton would use pretty salacious and very unsettling it was unsettling in 2005 so you can't imagine what it's like in 2019 to hear randy orton go to hey ray you're looking up in the sky like you're like you're looking up to talk to your friend eddie eddie's not up there ray he's down there pointing down in hell or like randy orton blowing up eddie guerrero's lowrider you know like a, 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 like a week after eddie had passed away just a week a week it's a bit soon very soon very tasteless um you know we we've talked about on the attitude podcast ray's world title run where he won the championship at WrestleMania 22 and then proceeded to lose pretty much all of his matches where he'd been told that he's a, an ultimate underdog, but he's the, he incarnates the spirit of Eddie Guerrero. I think that it was in poor taste. Ray, he was asked about it in interviews and he said that he thought it was, it was good, it was just business, Eddie would have wanted it, he was happy to honour the legacy, but like, 
you know, I'll always remember there was like a WrestleCrap article of the time that they were going to do a special, you know, George Lucas style DVD release of WrestleMania where Ray wins the belt and have a, a blue ghost of Eddie Guerrero like give him the thumbs oh up. My you know, like God. and that kind of felt like that was the where we were at that it was gone beyond a reference here or there. It was the storyline. Then they did the storyline with Rey Mysterio and Chris Benoit and Vicky Guerrero and Chavo where they were like trying to take his estate away from him and just, yeah. You know, you could, as you've no doubt know, Eddie had issues, he had problems, his death was a massive tragedy. Yeah. I think it made it very difficult for wrestling fans to process it when he was, name was being used constantly. I don't know, what do you think, what are your thoughts on People who've died in wrestling, is that still part of the business? Are you game for storyline inclusion? I think it depends on who it was. I mean, I think there are going to be cases of some wrestlers who would genuinely want to be used in storylines after they die. Mm. I mean, if the people who are closest to Eddie say that... I mean, because that's the thing, his wife, Vicky Guerrero, she would have been part of that, right? Yeah, she was part of that. She was hired as a full-time character around that time as well, you know? There was the rumour as well that, oh, they only did that so she wouldn't sue the company for for letting Eddie die on their watch. But I think, just no, they they liked her as a performer. But he didn't exactly die on... It's not like like Owen or something where it's their responsibility and he died. It was more complicated than that. It was definitely more complicated than that. And certainly not something that we can just have a quick recap here. That's, That's for the Eddie Guerrero episode. Yeah. So, you know, we will talk about that and a bit more about this, but it is hard to know that because you can always, you know, you're going to go on what people close to them say. But if those people are employed by WWE mm. and, you know, I don't know, I I find the whole thing a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, because it kind of made Eddie Guerrero's death be like part of wrestling canon. I certainly think that a week after is too soon. Yeah. And it went on. I mean, this went on from like November all the way through to the summer, you know, it felt like his, his name was constantly being used. You know, even years later when you know, Ray was teaming up with Batista, they were a tag team because Batista was friends with Eddie back in the day. And then they had Batista turn heel on Ray. And what did he do? He started talking about Eddie Guerrero going, Eddie's dead. Stop stop mentioning him. He's dead. He's never coming back. It's like, why do we need to It's a bit unnecessary. This? I don't need to be reminded of this, you know? So I think it's kind of... It's a bit of a blemish on, on Ray's kind of career and run. But, you know, as we mentioned, Ray had a lot of storylines involving his mask been taken and all that. And he was a, a big part of the company for many, many years. We've had lots of people tweeting saying that Ray, even appearing in video games and stuff like that, got them back into wrestling because he seemed like such a cool, unique, interesting character that they wanted to see him on screen. But I think with Ray, he was always a good guy, other than a very brief period in WCW. He was almost always a good guy with the same kind of... Same outlook same type of storylines and i think he got a little bit stale towards the end of his run and he got injured a lot as well and the most notable part of that is when in the 2014 royal rumble where everyone wanted daniel bryan to come in and win the royal rumble unannounced and number 30 was ray mysterio and he got booed so loudly like fuck ray mysterio and he was like he mentioned it's like i wish i could have ran back and just grabbed daniel bryan go go get him champ because (laughs) i didn't want to go out and wrestle in front of them oh poor ray so, Ray left the company in around 2014. He had been injured, so WWE did that great thing where they automatically extended his contract against his will to keep him there. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, he ended up not being able to leave until around 2015. But Ray's return to the Indies was actually met with quite a scary moment. So, there was total tragedy happened for Ray 
quite early into his return, he decided he was going to go back and do some indies. He was going to return to his roots and wrestle in you know, AAA and across Mexico. I think one of, if not his first match back, there was a tragic event. It was a tag match with Rey Mysterio and a guy called Pero Aguayo Jr., who was quite a big name at the time in, in Mexico. And he died in the ring, Pero did. God. Uh, from what seems like... A freak accident. Now, I'm not going to say, hey, let's watch a video of someone, you know, dying. I, yeah, I, I don't want to watch that. Yeah, <laughs> I, had, I had seen the video when it happened, and it is one of the most shocking things ever. Because you know how Ray sets up the 619? Wait, no, I've seen this. Oh, wait, you have? I remember when this happened. Yeah? This is when I right first started watching wrestling. Yeah. I remember at work, this is right when I first met you, yeah. and mentioning, oh, my boyfriend does a wrestling podcast, and a guy I worked with was like, oh, you like, you're going to like wrestling? Watch this. Oh, jeez. And made me watch the clip. He didn't tell me what it was or anything. He was just like, here's a fun clip you'll like to see of independent wrestling, and... There. It's like, oh, this guy died. And- G- generally speaking, if someone passes away in your video clip, you need to give someone a bit of warning beforehand. You know, that's just a g- good good video practice. It's just like he gets kicked, doesn't he? He does the, the usual setup. He does. He gets thrown out of the ring with like a hurricane runner, you know, usual thing where it's, the, you know, he's not being thrown. He, he does the hurricane runner and the guy literally dives himself out of the ring, comes back in. Ray does that, you know, the low drop kick to get him into the yeah. ropes. He bounces into the ropes. Ray goes to the 619, there's another guy in the ropes as well, and the guy goes completely limp, and like Ray just whiffs over him, and it's like, what's going on? And then the guy just collapses. It doesn't look like anything. No, it looks like absolutely nothing. It looks like Ray set up for the 619 with a very safe move that he's done a bajillion times. I mean, I was going to say earlier, like, oh, great thing about the 619 is that it's such a spectacular looking thing, but it's so, you know, it's not dangerous at all. But what happened to the guy, apparently was he hit into the he went to the outside i think he may have hurt himself when he fell to the outside but i think the ropes were too tight so when he went into the ropes he like broke his neck in like three places oh my god and the neck break caused uh, an artery to get uh, nicked or whatever and he got like a, a a blood clot in there and he died of cardiac arrest now you can watch the video and there's obviously a lot of things that go wrong there they don't even have a stretcher to take him out he's taken out a piece oh, of plywood no, and you know Conan goes over and shakes him say are you okay you know and it's it was so shocking and I remember feeling so bad for Ray because he had had you know the last year or so of his run WB it was very much you know he had slowed down he couldn't really do what he did anymore he was known as the guy who was getting injured a lot and the fans were like oh yeah it's Ray you know he's been here for 14 you know he's been here for 13 years or whatever people were a bit sick of it and that's mean to say and then he comes back in his big return this happens. And if it's anything like the guy who I worked with, Ray was kind of blamed. Because like, when I was shown that clip, it was like, oh yeah, Ray Mysterio killed this man. I mean, the move that Ray did, did result in the guy passing away. But only... In the if, if freak accident. The, yeah. It is such a freak accident. If only that move had happened, that man would not be dead. Yeah, exactly. And there was many factors going into that. And I think saying that Ray Mysterio just killed someone is like not giving this very serious and very tragic event the, the the care of detail that I think it needs. You know, wrestlers have died in the ring on a number of occasions. We've talked about some of them on this very podcast. And I think if you're going to be flippant about the details of a performer who's out there giving you fucking everything and knowing those risks in advance and you're going to just kind of write it off as like someone did something, it's not that, you know? And it, it broke Ray up. Like, I've watched interviews with him and he, like from years afterwards and he breaks down crying talking oh, about it. Because, you know... 
he he came to Mexico. He wanted to give back. He wanted to like like hey, I've been a big star in the world across the world with the WWE. Let's get some eyes on AAA or some eyes on you know these other companies like Lucha Underground. He was there for a few seasons as well. I'm really glad he was able to move past it, but you know. It is sad that, you know, any wrestler who's had that happen to them has been part of a tragedy like that. It, it's got a way on you. I guess Ray has got his faith and he's got, you know, his way of, of dealing with things and he seems like he's processed it and he's okay. But certainly, like, a really tragic event. And I think one that a lot of people don't actually know. I think that went over a lot of people's heads or, you know, I, I'm ashamed to say I had forgotten. Yeah. You know, I'd... I'd completely forgotten. Yeah, that's so, that's so weird to remember that. Like, that was my first introduction to Rey Mysterio actually when I think about it yeah it's really sad it's really sad not how he wants to maybe be known or remembered and it was what was nice though was that Rey was able to come back from this tragedy and you know he performed all around the world in the last few years before returning to WWE in 2018 he performed you know here in the UK quite a bit he went to Japan for the first time he did a lot of stuff in Mexico People pointed out season two and three of Lucha Underground where he wrestled with Prince Puma, uh, Ricochet. Some really great moments there. So, yeah, he was able to find himself success outside of the WWE. And at the same time, he slimmed down loads. He got healthy. He took time to do his schedule his way. So his knees got a bit better. And I was really happy to see Ray in this next match, in our final match that we watched... It was like going back in time. Yes. And not just because the production values were somewhat lacking at points in this <laughs> match, but because Rey Mysterio taking on Will Ospreay from WCPW World Cup of Wrestling from 2017. This was like going back in time. I could not believe. Like, first of all, seeing Rey in the ring with someone like Will Ospreay is pretty impressive to yeah. begin with. Like, that's freaky deaky right there. But, whoa. They... <laughs> They flipped. Yes. I, again, have very few notes on this match because it's it was just so fast. Yeah. I like they The sequence they do at the start, where it was literally like, they, they, they have the respect at the start. They're talking about how, you know, Will grew up watching Rey Mysterio, idolizing him. They shake hands and then it's like, let's see what you got. And they're both like springboard cartwheel yeah. flip-de-doo. Yes, please. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> also, I have to mention that Mysterio is peach-coloured here. Oh, yes. Now, you said that Salmon was heterosexual pink. Mm. What's peach? Oh, I don't know. Is that, I mean... Peach? Uh, mm, I have to think about that. Okay, see whether or not I need to get myself some peach slacks around this place. Oh, do. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, peach is a great colour. Interesting. I've never worn peach. I prefer peach to salmon, personally. Interesting. Mm. I have worn pink, though. Don't at me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Ray is wrestling like it's 1995. <laughs> in a good way. In a real good way, yeah. And what's great, because what's old is new again, because he's in the ring with Will Ospreay, who's doing a style, which still blows people away. But this Ray's been doing this for, you know, at this point, 22 years since wow, the match has passed. that's amazing. And Ray hasn't skipped a beat here. This is, you know, when we watched the Ray-Chris Jericho match from 2009, Ray was quite beefy. Yeah, he was. And there were rest holds in that match. Yes, there were. There were quite a few rest holds. I think one of the reasons why I was so enamored with that match was that it was like he did a lot more flips than he would have normally done at the time. But mm. compared to his earlier stuff, it still seemed like he was quite a bit slower. It seemed like he was very slow compared yeah. to that one. Yeah. But here, he's, my God, I don't know we've got uh, if the cadaver tendon took this time or not, but man, he is <laughs> fucking sudden and fast. So many flip-de-doos. I have two top spots for this match. 
and I'm going to have to call them their official name because I had to pause and ask Kevin what they were called. And <laughs> now I've written down what they are. I can't remember what they looked like, okay. except that it involved lots of spinning around <laughs> off the top rope. So first we had... Osprey! <laughs> first we had a standing twisting splash. Ah, yes. From Will Osprey, which is amazing. Where Will has this uncanny ability to do a series of flips and revolutions, which normally would need you to jump off the top rope, but he can do it just from a standing position. It's amazing. He's got the most incredible vertical leap I have ever seen in professional wrestling. Just him, the vert, him to up in the air. I, he's like a frog. It's unbelievable. I was impressed enough that Rey Mysterio can jump higher than his own height. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really cool. With bad knees as well. Yeah. You know, historically bad knees. My second top spot was a, and I sound like I'm such a wrestling mark here when I call them by their names. Like, I really know what these moves are called. <laughs> a top rope crucifix powerbomb. Ah, uh, yeah. And what was cool about this is that Will Ospreay said one of his favorite matches was Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio from Halloween Havoc 97. And this is them doing the spot. Oh. Except this time, instead of Ray reversing, he reverses the reversal. That's clever. Because he's watched the match so many times, he knows what Ray's going to do. You see, now, I had even watched that Halloween Havoc match, and I missed that reference. <laughs> it's a deep cut. I feel that there's so much of wrestling that I won't understand for at least another ten years of watching. Yeah. It's kind of like when on Cinema Swirl, Sam goes back and watches an episode of The Simpsons after seeing, you know, a couple of movies. He's like, well, there's all these jokes I didn't realize, <laughs> you know? I just thought they were taking, you know, spaces between the jokes. No, they were making references the whole time, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I do like that. There's a, like, this match was cool because it's super spectacular for the audience there and for you know you could show this to a new fan they'd be probably be blown away yeah. by it maybe the might be blown away a bit well by the, the the commentary where they scream into the microphones and they've not done a mic check oh yeah the audio levels are really 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 bad well uh, audio has not come a long way since 1995 joe i think you have to understand that just just here's here's the tip what, what we do right and this is this is the funnest part of podcasting when we test the microphones, and this we've only learned this from from a war of attrition over the past many years, but all of us have to make like a ah! like a, what's the loudest noise you're going to make in this one? So I'm doing the attitude era podcast. I've got a big Jesus or big big proper swear word. I have to go because <laughs> I often make that sound anyway. And Adam has to go really loudly. So you know you got you can't just go test 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 in the microphones because you need to get the upper limits, guys, exactly. which we don't have here. But even with the crackly audio at times, you could still show this to someone and they'd be like, "Holy shit, this is unlike anything I've ever seen. Wrestling is awesome." Yeah. You could show it to a fan like me who's seen a million things and be like, "Ah." References to other wrestling, yeah. which is fucking great. I loved this match so much. I gave it four stars out of five. Nice. Which means the average for this episode, I think, is one of the highest of any wrestler we've done. I think you are absolutely correct because usually once, I mean, usually along the way, you get kind of some a match that is a bit of a stinker or something that didn't agree with you, or in a lot of cases, it could be matches like I mean, Brett. There was a lot of matches that were you were very very good or you enjoyed a lot but maybe miss that you seek a little extra maybe from that some special matches special sauce yeah yeah you're quite you're quite harsh you don't just hand out these stars I don't yeah I am I'm harsh so four stars means a lot and it Ray does. Mysterio a, a well renowned many starred performer from you here yeah I think one of the coolest things about Ray right now is that 
there are so many of his matches from so many different companies. I know he, you know, he's fought so many opponents, both old and new, because his career it spans thirty years. His yeah, career, it's amazing, and the fact that he's like just as good now as when yeah. he was nineteen. I mean, we watched Ray and Andrade on Raw the other day, and it was really great. We did because you know. A lot of Ray's recent stuff has been, you know, storyline-wise, not particularly great for for the brand Mysterio. But we got to see him have a kick-ass brawl with Andrade, and I was like, holy shit, he can still go. He can do it as long as he's got someone in there who can keep up with him. That's exciting. I hope we get to see him. I mean, are there any other, like, flippy wrestlers you'd like to see him in the ring with? I mean, I would love to see that match with him and Prince Puma. Mm. That would be amazing to watch, because Ricochet is so flippy. AJ Styles. Yes. Although I don't see that ever happening for you reckon? some reason i just because they don't like to push ray mysterio i don't know i think like ray just because he can go so well now 30 years into his career he's 44 years old wow i think that's really incredible and you know, ray has said himself he loves wrestling the bigger guys because it you know takes him out of his comfort zone but like you know what get that next generation of high flyers over you know Ray could headline an NXT takeover yeah. against, you know, any of your young up-and-comer flipping guys and that would be an absolute spectacle. He just doesn't have to job out to baddies on the main roster all the yeah. time, you know? Because he's one of the few pure good guys in wrestling right now. Yeah. You know, not too many of those hanging around. And as you say, he's wrestled in so many places. Like, this is the only episode I think we've done where each of the matches we've covered has been from a different company. Yeah, I know. That's what's really, really cool about Ray is that he's here, there, and everywhere. And you can think of, like, a cruiserweight or high flyer from the 90s. Ray's probably wrestled them. You want to think of someone new? Yeah, he's probably done that too because he was hitting the indies hard in the last couple of years. It's awesome. And all the people he wrestled in the indies are now in big companies. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. I'm really excited for what will may well be like the, the kind of the, the third act, the final act of Rey Mysterio's career. We don't know if he's going to end it in WWE, if he may head back off to Mexico. I certainly think he's a lot more to give, but he has certainly touched a nerve with the fans and there's a lot of tweets and Facebook posts that we want to get into now from you folks using the hashtag HowToRayMysterio. Who's that jumping out the sky? R-E-Y Mysterio. Here we go. When the mask out, the girls they pass out, the boys just black out, better tap out. Go! Off the top ropes, look out below, because the next thing you know, you'll be on the floor. What are you going to do when you're on your back? You're like, what the heck? From a mean body slam, oh damn, you're whack. You're like, what the heck? All of a sudden, this dude's sitting on my neck. Where's the ref? Straight from the WWE, how much trouble you'd see when you face the man of mystery. Flipping and spinning and doing it fast. You can't remove the mask. Why? Because he's kicking your ass. Come on. Mr. Mysterious is serious and he gets furious and delirious. And everybody's curious. Wanna know where he's from and who he is? You don't know a damn thing, but he gets busy. The entertainer, and he's now on the stage. And it don't matter if you're in the ring or trapped in a cage. What he looks like, you're all dying to see. But guess what? Looks like a winner to me. First up from Xena IRL. I've only been watching wrestling casually since 2015, so no match suggestions here. I just feel it's important to mention his sex appeal and the tasteful nude photo shoot he did. How much of a hunk is he exactly? I won't know for sure until Joe weighs in. Now, I don't know about you, Joe, but uh, I can't get off unless my nude photo shoot has got someone moving a very big tyre in it. It's me too. I have to have big tyres in all my nude photo shoots. That's why our bedroom always has a big tyre right in the centre of 
but like to make yeah. sure that we all get what we want out of our <laughs> lives you know it's a lovely photo shoot we had to do a bit of research to find this yeah um, uh, it was great i found uh, the clip on a bodybuilding forum where it was like what the fuck are they doing this for man <laughs> For people who like seeing men naked, that's yeah. who. There's, there's a fair few of those. For, Quite you know, a few, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, Ray has definitely mentioned he's he's a hunk. He is a hunk, but I think the way photo shoots with men often go is a bit boring. Have you seen like you know? I don't know if you've seen it, but you know, Shawn Michaels appears yeah. in Playgirl, and it's very much like, hey, baby, like, yeah. You know, I think that a lot of nude male photo shoots are oftentimes like kind of. A little bit sleazier than they need to be. I think they're often for the male gaze. Yeah, that's what you th- what you think would be sexy. You know, if you're a straight man, you think this would be sexy if it was a woman. I think the cool thing about Ray's sexy nude photo shoot is that it's quite effeminate. Considering he's a professional wrestler, his body is quite soft. It's quite curvy. What cur- soft is? He's still he's still muscled. He's still so, muscled. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He's still muscled, but like the, he's not veiny. He's like, not veiny. Yeah. He's not vascular. The lighting on it was quite soft. It was gentle. You know, considering he's doing very sort of hyper masculine things like flipping over a tire, and one of them is like him doing the six one nine. The way he does it is almost gently it was one of the last people if i was to draw up a list of 10 male wrestlers who i think would have been appeared in a nude photo shoot but ray like wearing the mask in a nude shoot it's like it's so cool yeah it's great (laughs) it's like totally unexpected and i love it and it's all in spanish as well so obviously it wasn't meant for like kind of all of us to to enjoy what is out there okay what you have to, to search for on youtube is Rey Mysterio's body issue in ESPN magazine. You get to see his bum. He's got a great bum. There is. And it only has, alarmingly, 7,000 views. Come which... on, guys. We can get that higher. Come on. Do it for Ray's ass. <laughs> We've got some here over on Facebook.com forward slash how to wrestling where you can of course continue the conversation on our various posts for our various episodes and as well you can let your voices be known about future episodes we have one here from Zach Boblish I love Rey Mysterio his matches in WCW with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko open my eyes to cruiserweight wrestling he has to be one of the best high flyers of all time and he truly showed that if you get people to root for you based on your in-ring ability as opposed to how you look it does not matter if you're a giant if you're a great talker or a giant muscle man, you can still make it in wrestling. It's something that we didn't really talk about. Ray struggled on the microphone. He's not got a, you know, he's not got a big arena filling voice. I you really know? like his voice though. It's quite high pitched. It's, it's quite, very different. Quite soft as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in the the a lot of talking that we saw with Ray was regards to you know the family stuff with his son. So there was a bit more yeah. emotion there than normal, but. You know, I won't be going to a Rey Mysterio match to hear him talk, mm. you know. And I think it is important to know that, yeah, you know, he, he himself said, I was never going to be John Cena or, you know, Randy Orton or Triple. He wasn't going to be like a Tiffany Top guy. But he knew that he would have a very, very solid position in the company because no one could do what he did. And yeah. I think, yeah, it's good to try and be at least passable at everything in wrestling, but you don't have to be all things to all people. It kind of... It did annoy me a bit that Ray tried to become a big bulky bodybuilder type in his later run WWE because he, he didn't need that. I don't know why he felt he did. Do you feel that was pressure from like people like Vince? I mean, you know, he was done for wellness violations twice. Really? You know, he said he had you know, a prescription and all that, but he was named in like, the steroids kind of scandal in 2007 and stuff like that. So, 
you know, and he was getting he was getting big, you know, and mm. didn't need it. Like, because all I remember was like, wow, Rey Mysterio is muscular. He can't do the West Coast pop anymore. And I just put those two things together. It's like yeah. one is more important than the other to, to fans, I think. Next up from Kevin Chiat, one of the greats of the modern era. Kind of criminal that WWE seemed to have signed him just to keep him away from anyone else based off how they've used him this year. <laughs> yeah, definitely agree with that. Another one from Joe Del Toro. He not only reinvents and innovates new moves and spots, he makes them look natural and almost cinematic. Doesn't matter what wild flip de do he does, in the moment I always buy that he's capable of doing it in a real fight. The definition of a legend. I love how Ray incorporates all of that high-flying, over-the-top stuff that you're so used to seeing with Lucha Libre into the slower styles of WWE. And, you know, even in WCW, he brought a lot of that. And, yeah... You know, you can see someone like Ray or Psychosis doing these flips and kind of go, oh, that's gratuitous or that's too much and all that. And then you see someone do it badly and be like, oh, wow, actually, the timing yeah. of this is like, there's so, like, the most impressive thing about those flips often isn't the fact that, hey, he can jump really high or he doesn't care where he lands. It's like he was able to time that perfectly with someone else who's moving across the ring and yeah. catches them at the exact right moment. The you precision know. needed to do those moves well is yeah. incredible. And that's why I hate, because like, it's loads of people are, you know, when people like Randy Orton or whoever go off on one on Twitter about, you know, people just doing dives and flips, it's like, yeah, well, you're talking about it like you could do it and you just don't yeah. want it. <laughs> it's a case of actually, it's more than just jumping around to the outside. It's about timing, it's about precision, and it's a lot more difficult than it looks. Boyd Atkins fourth here on Facebook. Ray was the main reason I was a WCW guy growing up. Saw him doing some amazing flippy doos on Nitro and was hooked in onto all of the masked guys he wrestled with. Names like Psychosis, Juventud, Guerrero, etc. I was elated when he joined WWE and put the mask back on because he reminded me of why I liked wrestling. I also followed him to Lucha Underground for his brief stint there. Almost 30 years later, he is still one of the greats. And I love that Ray was able to bring back that mask because, you know, all those guys he listed there, they all got unmasked throughout their careers as well. And, you know, when we talk about that uh, that foursome, you know, or those those original kind of... And I'll put Super Crazy in there as well. You know, a lot of the luchadors who seem to have unlimited upward potential in the 90s, Ray's the only one who made us to that superstar next, next, next level. And that shows you that, you know, it was very difficult if you were a Hispanic wrestler with a different style and a smaller guy to begin with. But... You know, I think Ray overcompensated for it by having that extra bit of star power. Now from Colorettes, I didn't start watching wrestling until 2018, but I remember when it was super popular in Spain and every single kid loved Rey Mysterio <laughs> so much. He just brings a lot of joy to kids. I'm one of the only older wrestlers I don't flinch while watching wrestle. Yeah, I can't get over that he has been wrestling for 30 years mm. because I can't think of a single other wrestler who's been wrestling that long who you don't kind of like dread in some small way seeing them wrestle because you're like, oh my God, they're going to injure themselves or they're going to injure someone else. I mean, the names that I would come up with is probably someone like, you know, Ric Flair or something like that who wrestled, you know, a very, very lengthy career. But, but totally different style. Yeah, Rick, like you cannot compare the two. Yeah, Rick was going up to the top rope to go, no, and be slowly tossed off and he weren't <laughs> doing no planches. And Ray, he still can do it all. That is incredible. I wonder if he is in pain. I do, want, I do wonder about that, like, you know, 
But I think the best thing that ever happened to him was having that little sabbatical, you know, a couple of years ago where he was able to spend more time with his family and heal up and stuff. You know, mm. it's done him a power of good. Next up from Thomas Lawson, someone who broke down every staple in WWE. At a time when jacked up muscle men were seen as the only possible stars, the masked diminutive Ray won fans and wrestlers over with his ability and personality. A surefire Hall of Famer, if ever there was one. Yeah, I think like Ray, Ray had a connection with fans and he was personable. And it's, it's rare, rare to get that when you're known as not being great on the mic as well. Yeah. I remember when Sin Cara was signed you know they had the big press conference with Triple H in Mexico and they're like he's gonna be such a fucking star because he's so marketable and he's so spectacular arguably even more spectacular than Ray in the ring but he didn't have that connection with the fans he didn't have that I don't know Ray just seems to kind of wear his heart in his sleeve or something like that it's the emotion it's what you see in his eyes he he makes a connection the way that young kids gravitate to Rey Mysterio is bloody incredible there is a story I do want to tell I don't know whether it's true or not I saw it on Reddit years ago where when Ray comes out in his later run WWE he goes over and he touches his head against people like you know he's got his mask on he finds a, a Ray fan with a mask and he put his head up to them and be like you know believe in yourself or whatever yeah um Someone said on Reddit that they were a Rey Mysterio fan in a mask at one of those shows. And Rey came over to him and he did the thing where he put his hands on his head and he pulled him in close. And Rey said, do something with your life, you little bitch. And then walked away. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so harsh. Reddit is nothing if not a bastion of false stories of wrestling encounters. But I don't know if that's the case. That's some harsh love from Rey Mysterio right yeah, there. Yeah, what the hell? I don't know. Why not try something like trust in yourself and you can achieve anything. That's much better, right? <laughs> yeah. Come on. I'm not going to put that other thing on a t-shirt. Yeah, so if you're going to pop your kid in a Rey Mysterio mask, hoping he'll come over to them, just be careful because he might be doing some fucking harsh parenting, <laughs> super nanny your ass like. <laughs> Last one now from Citizen Spite. Sweet baby Moses. Ray is a massive part of wrestling history. The one who truly brought Lucha to the masses. Massively influential to the evolution of wrestling to the style you see today. It cannot be understated. Yeah, I think the fact now that the style has been synthesized and you don't need to be a guy in a mask who's relegated to being like this is the the guy with the this is the cruiserweight match this is the guys with the mask you know you see it from Seth Rollins doing topes to you know to Sasha Banks to all these wrestlers now who have absorbed that they've grown up watching Ray being a part of a show and that is part of the style now and I think that's so cool like I think there's obviously arguments he made about like wrestling being watered down and whatnot, but I think as long as there's still a strong wrestling scene in Mexico and a strong wrestling scene in all the other different bastions of different styles, I'm very happy to see all those styles represented in WWE. It makes for a much more interesting show, as I love me some flips, Joe, and I know you do too. I love flip de doo <laughs> They're my fave. How did you get on with Rey Mysterio? Was he what you thought he was? And are you excited to hear more or see more of him? I mean, I thought I'd like Rey Mysterio, judging from the couple of short matches I'd seen him do recently. I didn't think I'd like love him as much as I do. Like, mm. I really, really loved not only his wrestling style, which I cannot believe I gave so many of those matches four stars, but also the fact that he's such a good actor. Yeah. That match with, with Eddie Guerrero and Dominic, I, I will never get over that he cried real tears. Yeah, that's not easy to do. Like, like 
you don't have to do that if you're wearing a mask because people will just assume, oh, he's wearing a mask, we can't see your face. Yeah. But you can, and it makes such an impact. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love absolutely everything I've seen about Rey Mysterio. What a great wrestler. Oh, I'm very, very glad. I feel that we have nipped the potential wrong in the bud of you thinking that Rey Mysterio is a guy who only wrestles short matches and gets the shit knocked out of him, that he is so much more than that, not just as someone who you watch in the ring, but as someone who has contributed an infinite amount to wrestling as we know it today. And I think we'll be talking about Rey Mysterio years after his career ends, whenever that may be. Our next episode, Joe, is going to be a very, very special one indeed, because it's going to be a live show! Yes! We are back at the London Podcast Festival on the 7th of September. Joe, what are we going to be talking about when we hit that London Podfest for year number three? We're going to be talking about music in wrestling. Yes. It's very, very exciting. Oh, baby. I don't really know how this is going to work because (laughs) I'm not that familiar with wrestling outside entrance music. I mean, are we going to just be talking about stand back for nearly an hour? (laughs) That's a fact. We're going to be doing how-to music and... As always with all of our live shows, we want to see as many of you there as possible, bringing your fabulous, beautiful signs. It's going to be a chance for a big hangout if you're a member of Team Friendship. It's a kind of an unofficial Team Friendship meetup. There will be uh, loads of folks coming down. It's a lovely chance to get to meet everyone in person. You know, folks who only usually get to tweet each other get to actually meet up and hang out. It's going to be a really, really great time. And the folks at the London Podcast Festival are super accommodating for the contingent of wrestling fans that descend upon their festival and we're really (laughs) happy to see you guys there we're going to be talking about the best entrance musics of all time the worst we're going to be talking about the history of wrestling and music and that extends not just to wrestlers coming out to music we're going to be talking about the history of wrestlers performing music as well so we want to know all your thoughts what is you know the best wrestling music what are some of your opinions what are some theme songs that Joe simply has to hear and importantly as well if joe was to come out to a wrestling entrance music what would that music be and why i would suggest to keep your eyes on the how to wrestling twitter page as well as joe's twitter page and that is the joanna graham as joe and how to wrestling accounts will be asking some questions to gather some intel for this i've got some surprises that i'm going to be uh, unveiling for joe along the way and we're also hoping to book our first ever wrestling musical if you can think of any musicals that need wrestlers in them or any wrestlers you need to be in musicals we want to know your thoughts. It's going to be a beautiful, varied smorgasbord of musical-themed goodies in the world of wrestling at the London Podcast Festival. Tickets are only £9.50 from King's Place Theatre. That's kingsplace.co.uk. And if you go to three or more shows across the festival, Joe, you get 15% off. Now, ain't that a deal? Ain't that a deal and a steal? And that includes if you want to get a bunch of tickets for you and your friends for this show or you want to come see the Attitude Era podcast. I'll be doing double duty and doing a show with them as well. But we hope to see all of you there and get your tweets in using the hashtag howtomusic I'm very excited me too I'm absolutely so hyped for this episode yeah the live shows are always a wild experience and this one we're planning to be the best one yet and they'll be hitting your feeds very very shortly and we will be revealing at that show our next episode and it is one I am beside myself with excitement about but I have to be tight-lipped about that in the meantime until next time where we're going to see you hopefully live in London it's a goodbye from me Kevin and a goodbye from me Joe and we'll see you at the London Podcast Festival with How To Wrestling see ya